When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Saturday session with Daniel McCarty on SENZ. Daniel, 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 Daniel. Oh, what a welcome back, Ben Francis. Thank you so much. Yeah, fair not, people. I am back. I am back. I know you've missed me dreadfully, horribly, totally, completely, utterly, and you want to talk to me on 0800-150-811. Now is your chance. The lines are open. Welcome aboard the Saturday session. I'm Daniel McCarty. Ben Francis is here. We ride together, arm in arm, hand in hand. Through the good times and the bad, right through to one o'clock. Coming up on this very show, well, lots to get our teeth into. We'll talk some cricket. Why not? What an extraordinary week of Test Match cricket, not just here in New Zealand, but around the world. That uh, bizarre game between uh, India and Australia, barely making it to day number three, while We got an all-timer on our shores at the Basin Reserve as New Zealand beat England by just one run in a test match. Quite phenomenal. We'll catch up with the man who uh, was there calling for radio, both New Zealand and overseas. Jacob Borum is going to join the show uh, for our Swinging Both Ways cricketing segment with PGG Rights and Turf Key Suppliers to New Zealand Cricket Grounds. We've got you covered across a variety of sport on this uh, very big sporting weekend that will also see the launching of our ANZ Netball Premiership season, championship season. Uh, the defending champs are the Central Pulse. We'll go inside the Central Pulse's camp. We'll catch up with their um, you know, wonderfully successful uh, coach, Yvette McCausland-Drury, head of their uh, opening game tomorrow. The season itself starts later this afternoon. Now, it doesn't, and of course, SENZ throughout the week, right across uh, the very best uh, as far as netball is concerned. Uh, good luck to the Mystics and Steel, who have the honour of... Uh, the opening centre pass later tonight, about quarter past seven from Truss Arena. So we'll go inside the Central Pulsar camp a little bit later. We'll also have uh, more hoops in our mind and why not the way the breakers are going. They're up by ga- one match to nil, one game to nil in the, the uh, Aussie NBL final series. Going to Sydney and getting the job done. Uh, well done to them. Long may that continue. They return home. Uh, we commentary last night on SNZ. How good was that? We've got it tomorrow. I think the game tips off at 4 o'clock. We can't wait to bring you more live sport right here on the uh, station. That's what it's all about as far as I'm concerned. Uh, we'll break down that win for the Breakers last night uh, with uh, uh, NBL analyst uh, Peter Hurley. He's a former player and was part of the 2019 Melbourne United squad and since retiring has been part of the NBL commentary team. He knows his stuff. Also on the show after 12 o'clock, we'll drop in some uh, live racing for you. I think we'll head to Tarapa uh, at about uh, 20 to 1 for the first race there. But we'll also talk about the opening round and with a real eye on the opening win of the season for the Warriors last night. Also on SENZ's uh, great to have Sam and Kempe call that one for us as the Warriors did the job in front of, what, about 15,000 at uh, Sky Stadium. Yeah, strong crowd, strong performance, even more importantly for the Warriors. We'll talk to Joel Gain 
uh, SEN League commentator. We'll do that after midday. So there's a lay of the land as far as what's coming up on the show uh, later today. But let's rip into it with our latest in sporting headlines. And Hurricanes and All Blacks star Adi Savia could face further discipline from Super Rugby officials after he made an offensive gesture towards an opponent during his side's uh, win over the Melbourne Rebels last evening. It was a 39-33 win, but that has been somewhat overshadowed by an incident which saw the usually composed Savia make a throat-slitting gesture towards opposition halfback Ryan Lawrence. Hope I pronounced that correctly, Ryan. Uh, the fiery moment came after Savia was shown a yellow card for his part in a bit of an on-field scuffle between players and prompted Rebels captain Reese Hodge to complain to match referee that he was threatening to kill him. Uh, Savia has apologised after the match, saying it was out of character and somewhat done in the heat of the moment. Hmm. Hmm. Might have a, uh, a thought on that in just a moment or two when we open the lines. Uh, there have been plenty of changes to the Black Caps on the field, and now they're starting uh, off it with Warwickshire, appointing New Zealand selector Gavin Larson as their performance director. A newly created role at Ed Bashton effectively sees him replace former director of cricket Paul Fabrace. Alas, and a former New Zealand international who's been in the role since, what, post-2015 Cricket World Cup, I think, and through a very, very successful tenure. Um, uh, we'll start his job at Warwickshire in April or May during uh, Larson's time as selection manner for New Zealand. The Black Caps won the inaugural World Test Championship in 2021, featured in both the T20 World Cups over the last couple of years. And let's not forget uh, the Cricket World Cup final of 2019, for which no one remembers. Uh, they were ranked number one in all three formats of the game at different times during his tenure. Congratulations to Gavin Larson on that role. We wish you well. And as I mentioned, uh, the New Zealand Breakers have stolen home court advantage for the champion, uh, from the champion Sydney Kings, taking the opening game of the AMBL final series 95-87 at Kudos Bank Arena. Uh, Aussie guard Will McDowell-White and American Barry Brown Jr. led the Auckland club with 19 points apiece. The former flirting with a triple-double, compiling nine rebounds and nine assists. That's a pretty good day out. Game two is scheduled uh, from 6 p.m., I've been told. Thank you, Ben Francis. He's paying attention. I'm not. It's 6 p.m., not 4 p.m., as I said earlier. Don't worry, I've just given myself a slap on the wrist. At a sold-out Spark Arena, where victory could carry to the breakers to... Within one win of a fifth AMBL crown in the best of five series. Fantastic stuff. It is six minutes after 10 o'clock. There's the very latest in sports headlines. There's a rundown of the show, and we welcome you aboard. Uh, listeners, audience out there, love to get you to play a part. 0800 Hello, Ben Francis. I've missed you, friend. I've missed you too, Daniel. It's great to have you back. But uh, what an what a opportunity you got, and it was great listening to you and the team as well. Thank you very much. Uh, for those unaware, um, well, I did a McCullum, I did a Patel, I did a Debschitz. I, I jumped aboard the, the English cricketing gravy train. I uh, enjoyed the awesome crew at TalkSport and providing, what well, I, I guess, the New Zealand perspective on things for that uh, series. I, I must admit, Ben, for eight of the nine days, it was pretty rough going. It was pretty <laughs> rough going as we, as we held desperately on to their coattails as they were playing a ferocious brand of cricket England. And the English commentary team, which featured the likes of Steve Harmison, former English captain Mike Atherton, the awesome Neil Manthorpe and John Norman. We also had uh, New Zealand voices, Frankie Mackay, Jacob Borum, and myself, uh, amongst others. Um, really, really cool experience, but it's good to be back. And, and I can't wait to talk some sport with you 
out there in Radio Land and SENZ World. Our number is 0800 You can text us on double eight double three. Because what a night of Friday night sport we had. Seriously. Were we treated? Were you not entertained? And I'd love to get your reaction on what you have seen, what you've witnessed, what you've enjoyed, what you've delighted in uh, right now. As he hurriedly tries to fix the screen behind him. Let's start with the breakers under the bright lights of a championship series away to Sydney, controlling the game uh, from the opening tip. Uh, what a ride they've taken us on, overcoming lots of obstacles and leaping over them with great uh, distinction up until now. And last night they led after seven after the first quarter and extended that to 11 at the half. You always felt the Kings were going to make a run in front of their home fans, and they did in that third quarter, fighting back. But in that final period, the final quarter, the Breakers were at their lockdown best, limiting the host to just 17 points in the fourth quarter. That is some going to take a 95-87 win and a 1-0 series lead um, and back home for Game 2. Their building will be jumping. And if you are going to Game 2, I would love to hear from you. Or if you just want to break down what the what made the Breakers so good last night and effective, 0800-150811. We also saw the one New Zealand Warriors kick off the NRL season in the best possible way. And I will repeat the best possible way. Yes, we had the typical NRL. Lots of talk leading up to week number one. Lots of talk from lots of clubs. They do it so well heightens everyone's expectations, and you always fear, ooh, teams are going to fall flat on their face. Not the Warriors. Uh, win over the Knights in Wellington featured some true, good, old-fashioned grit. Y- yes, they were wonky from the opening, conceding an early try, but they-, they found enough rhythm on attack, kicking game aside, maybe, kicking game aside, uh, to score the points required. But most importantly, it was the heart and defence, wasn't it? That goal line stand... For what seemed like to me went for an eternity around about the hour mark, through about an hour, through about to the 70th minute. Felt like forever as we entered the final quarter, really impre- uh, important time of the game. It was very impressive. And that goal line stand was superb. The try saver from Shans Nickel, Clockstead was brilliant and will be uh, in all of the highlights. Do you know what I want, Ben Francis? Number one, one New Zealand Warriors fan on this station. I would like someone to do a montage and a highlight package of Torhu Harris's 51 tackles. That guy was just a unit. He was fantastic, wasn't he? Yeah, he was awesome. And it was really great seeing lots of those new signings. You touched on the Chance Nickel-Klugstad tackle there, and you, you think straight away, you think that's why the Warriors got him, because Reese Walsh would not have made that tackle. The Knights would have scored him when had a completely different game, and that's no, that's no dig at Reese Walsh. Well, it is a dig at Reese Walsh, because that's what he was like last was- year. Not very good. Defensively, yes. Yeah, but, defensively. Yes. But even seeing, you know, I thought all the new signings stood up really well, and even though it was a far from perfect, you kind of saw... You, you saw the, how the Warriors were better. You saw the effort, which was great. I was really impressed with Dylan Walker coming off the bench, and he made an impact in the middle as well. And just that little he, that that little strong, hard man in the middle, there was that little push and shove there in the, in the second half, and he's getting right in it. And you just you want guys like that in your team. So Jackson Ford was great. Nick Klugstad, Walker, Nakore, all of them really stood up, and you can see a massive improvement already after just one game, but still a long way to go. Yeah, it is only one game, and I completely understand that you tempering sort of expectations, and it's probably the sensible thing to do, but, you know, a lot of sporting fans aren't sensible. Some people will get carried away with it, and you know what, I, I might be getting carried away here, but I firmly believe this, that, and the thing I love most about that goal line stand, the resistance, 
Well, what do they do straight after? They go up the field and punish the opposition. That's what quality sides do when Wade Egan scores. That's the type of stuff I certainly want to see. And I say it year on year with this side. It's about the defence. Yeah, the razzle-dazzle league gets talked about over the years, but I, I, I'm looking for the substance within the side. And when the side are finals-bound, it's because they're miserable at conceding points by their historical standards, which they've been far too um, inconsistent defensively uh, over too many years. And if you want to play with the big boys in this competition, that is the standard now. That's the standard. They need to show that each week. The best teams concede, what, 12 to 15 points a game on average. So that was an average day out defensively last night for the best teams in the competition. So that's what I mean by that's the standard. And more, please, uh, from the One New Zealand Warriors. Uh, let's hear from Warriors fans, uh, NRL fans. Uh, how did you judge that opening nine, opening nine performance? And how have you judged the opening couple of games? Commiserations to the Panthers out there, Panthers fans. Hope hope you're doing well. One point is, one point is always enough, isn't it? Like one run in test cricket. He's got his hand up like he's a very, very um, respectful school pupil. I'm just I'm just bursting with excitement to say this, Daniel. So I had to put my hand up just so I could say it at the right moment so the whole of New Zealand could hear this. Do you know the best part of the win last night, Daniel? What? The Warriors are top of the NRL ladder. Yeah, someone's already sent me um, some photos of that. You know, top of the NRL ladder. I should bring it up. We should take a photo of it. Take a photo of it, Ben. Take a photo of it. You wouldn't be jinxing. Look look at them. They're sailing away with the competition. Look, their points differential is twice as good as the next best side. Hey, Ben? You'd like that, wouldn't you? Like the sound of that? Oh, it's, it's incredible, Daniel. Twice as good. <laughs> uh, yeah, league fans, go on. Uh, 0800-150-811. Love to get uh, your perspective uh, on that Warriors uh, game, especially the one New Zealand Warriors. Uh Super Rugby 2, we, we can't ignore this. This was in Melbourne, even though people in Melbourne probably ignored this because it's Melbourne and it's rugby and it's not a natural place to have a super round, or is it? Uh, maybe I'm missing the point. We saw Melbourne awash with Super Rugby teams as part of the super round with all games in Victoria. The Crusaders bounced back after a humbling at the hands of the Chiefs last weekend with a big 52-15 win over the Highlanders. Now the Southerners, the deep Southerners, started well, but to Highlanders fans out there, the game is not a 10-minute game. It's an 80-minute game. The Crusaders were just far too good. I, I thought Moonga uh, was class, back to steering the ship as we've become accustomed to, unlike last weekend. The guy outside him was pretty useful as well. Was he not? David Harvili. He's not giving up on that All Blacks number 12 spot now, is he? To Geordie Barrett, Barrett without a fight. Yeah, we can talk about the Crusaders. But hello, Highlanders fans. Hello, are you okay? 60 points conceded to the Blues last weekend and now 52 to the Crusaders. What's going on? And Ben, I, I'm not sure if you heard the post-match interviews, but I'm utterly sure, and please correct me listeners out there if I'm wrong, I'm sure I heard someone praising the Highlanders' defence. Yeah, that was the captain, Billy uh, Harmon. What? He, he did that last the, week the, as well after they conceded he, 60. What? He, he what? He said, oh, we made a great effort on defence. He said that two weeks in a row now. So he, he said they defended well last week when they conceded 60. Captain Billy Harmon, he did, yes. So both times they've lost, he said they defended well. Do you actually want to know something real funny, I, I Daniel? Love, I, I love positive people, Ben. You know that. You, but if I'm a Highlanders fan, I'd be a bit... 
Do you, if I heard that. Do you want to know something that's that was absolutely hilarious? On Super South on Tuesday, do you want to know who the Highlanders gave us for the show with Ricardo Ball and Joey Wheeler? Mr. Harmon? They, no, they put up the defence coach. Well, it's probably the guy you want to speak to. <laughs> and straight away... Mr. Dillon? Straight away, Joey Wheeler just bam straight in there, and he was not happy. No. Yeah, uh, Highlanders fans. Yeah, feel free to feel, feel free to jump on ball and tell me how you're feeling after witnessing that. Uh, then it was the Hurricanes making it two wins from two last night against Australian sides. Last week, they nearly posted 50 on the Reds in Townsville. Sorry, last week. Last night, it was 39-33 over the Rebels. A performance that I heard Corey Jane, the assistant coach, describe as horrible and awful. Obviously, setting some high standards, they are. They were horrible and awful. Horrible. horrible. On the field. Horrible. There we go, Corey. Next time you're going, just call them horrible. Feel free to comment on the game, but I have a sneaking suspicion many of you will want to discuss that rather fiery moment involving Arnie de Saver, as we mentioned, using a throat-slitting gesture um, on the field. He was yellow-carded. Not for that, though, was it? It was for something else. Um, and there's been quite a reaction. Uh, prompted Rebels captain Reese Hodge, as I mentioned in the headlines, to complain to match referee that he was threatening to kill him. He was caught on camera, and you'll see it on social media. It's, it's everywhere. Now, Savia has apologised after the match, saying it was out of character and something done in the heat of the moment. As social media went into a frenzy with people calling for a red card, not a second yellow, a red card, um, and a lengthy suspension, which is some of the... Uh, the calls from the great unwashed on social media that I saw. Um, what did you make of that incident? Now, no doubt I will get called a hurricane homeboy, probably from Ben Francis and others, when I say this. Yes, it was totally unnecessary, uncalled for, and a rather stupid thing to do. But is it really that bad? It's just a gesture, isn't it? It wasn't a, I don't know, a deliberate head-high shot or punching someone in the face. You know, acts that could cause serious physical harm. Or am I missing the point? Am I missing the point when I say, is it really that big a deal? Let me know. See, I don't even know if an act like that is legislated against in the laws of the game. And really, I don't have the stomach to wade through the rugby law book. I've had such a lovely week, Ben Francis. I don't want to bring myself down by reading that. But if there is uh, an official out there who knows the sport and the laws intricately, unlike I do, who is far better educated on such instances, I encourage you to call and educate me. That, yes, you could be sent off for doing something like that. Because if they're in the laws, we all know I'm a stickler for a law, Ben Francis, then he would have had to have gone. But what, a, a suspension for that? I get far, I, you know, strike, smacking someone in the face I find far more appalling than a gesture like that. I, I Tell me if I'm wrong. I don't know if it's in the laws, but I guess if the fact that it's been banned from the haka, well, you would assume that it's not allowed. Because you all base don't do of, the throat That was anymore. a bit of a nonsense. That was a bit of a nonsense from World Rugby, wasn't it? Yeah, but it's 2023, Daniel. <laughs> are you are you greatly offended by all these gestures I'm currently giving Ben Francis? 
Oh, uh, where, where's HR? I wish HR could see this right now. <laughs> <laughs> These are jacked up athletes. What do we expect? Someone's going to lose it from time to time. Uh, I'd, I'd love to get uh, the perspective of, of those who have seen it. Um, and, you know, I'm sure there's both sides. And, and, and I'm, I'm clearly saying to you, you can educate me. If you think my perspective is wrong, 0800-150-811, that is our number. Uh, feel free to jump on board. It's been a bumper night of sport. It's been a huge week of sport, and it's time for you to play your part on this very show. We'll take a short break. It's 20 after 24 minutes after 10 o'clock. Uh, feel free to keep your comments coming in on double eight double three. Got a few texts here. Love to hear your voices too on 0800-150-811. But it is that time of the week to talk the wonderful game, the brilliant game, the breathtaking game, the heart-stopping game uh, that is cricket after what we have seen in the last week. Welcome aboard Swinging Both Ways, our cricketing segment on the Saturday session in association with PGG Rights and Turf Key Suppliers to New Zealand Cricket Grounds. Jacob Orham, absolutely star all-rounder in his uh, day now, uh, a star behind a microphone, whether he's covering uh, the uh, the test circuit via New Zealand Radio or alongside me uh, and with the TalkSport uh, crew out of the UK. Uh, Jacob Orham, kind enough to answer the phone on a Saturday to reflect upon what he witnessed in the test series, finishing off with that extraordinary conclusion at the Basin Reserve. Jacob, have you come down from that exhilarating finish? Welcome to the show. Thanks, Stephen. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, I I have come down, although I think it hit me probably not for a couple of hours afterwards. I mean, I haven't done, obviously, as much commentary as yourself. And um, I sort of, being there, like, covering it as a, you know, as a job for that test match, it, it sort of, it took me away from being a fan, if you know what I mean. I was still in it. I was still wrapped up in the drama of it all. Yeah, yeah. But I don't think it hit me till I was, I, I drove home after the game, um, Wellington, just up to the final two. And I was taking a few calls from mates and talking about it. And then it sort of hit me and, you know, alerts are popping up on my phone about, you know, the second time ever a one-run test win and the New Zealand fight back and made to follow and all this stuff. And suddenly all the narratives came together. I was like, man, that was actually history. And I was there to cover it. And I think then it hit me that that was something special. So unbelievable test and, and fantastic to be a, well, a small part of um, with, with you in the commentary box. Uh, Jake, you're not alone. And I... <laughs> Even having done it a number of years, Neil Manthorpe, who's done it for 30 years and has commentated at 84 games, 84 test match venues around the world, um, he, he just called it heart-stopping and arguably one of the, the finest things he's ever witnessed. I, I, like you, it took me a while to sink in. I, the, the phone went off from you know many a station around SENZ and SEN, spoke to those people. And then I had to go out and actually stand on the middle of the Basin Reserve to actually think, did this really happen? Because it was just... Fr- frighteningly strange, wasn't it? You know, one test in the 2,400 prior had been a one-run result. I think only three of the 2,400-plus test matches had been um, had involved a side following on. Um, I, I'm not good at probabilities, but, you know, do the maths. I think that's like a one in two million occasion that we witnessed. It's really extraordinary. Very extraordinary, yeah, and I think just those stats speak for themselves. Yeah, just short of two and a half thousand test matches played. Yeah, fourth time ever a, a side's followed on and won, and then obviously just the second ever one-run test win. And and you just think back to like little moments that could have swung it either way. Um, you know, I remember cursing when Kane Williamson got out to Harry Brook on the fourth day, caught down the leg side, and you know I was sort of thinking to myself, you know, did, 
it's not fair. You know, New Zealand's fighting their way back. They're getting into some sort of position of strength. Kane, I mean, that innings by Kane was unbelievable. So calm and collected under pressure. To be strangled down the leg side is not cool. But then look what happened for the last wicket, strangled down the leg side, James Anderson. So it's funny how mother cricket works and it swings in roundabouts. And <laughs> um, just, an, just a, an amazing test match. Um, but considering where New Zealand was, what, day two, day three, truly unbelievable that they came back to win that. I think if we press any cricketing fan, Jacob, we think the game's over when a side's following on, even though, you know, you send the opposition back in, you know, you know there's that, or maybe they have left the door ajar. But as far as when you finally felt New Zealand might have a chance, when was it? When was it? You know, when did, when did you go down that dumb and dumb and room? Um, You're telling me there's a chance. Well, I thought probably, probably towards the end of day four, um, just before the, they lost four wickets for five runs, was it? Um, and then England came out and smashed just short of 50 inside 10 overs. Like, but so just, may, maybe around about T, T on that fourth day, and, and New Zealand must have been, you know, 230, something like that ahead. And I thought they've got a real chance here um, to, to at least post something that will challenge England. England was still in the box seat. The wicket still was good, um, you know, in the way England has been playing. Let's be honest, the last 12 months, they've been the best test side in the world. And not just from wins and losses, but from the way they play. It's quite intimidating. Um, so I, I still felt England were in the box seat, but New Zealand were, were going to give them a bit of challenge. Then when we fell away, then they had to start to their second innings. I thought, oh, well, OK, I'm giving us a 20% chance. At 80 for five, you know, what, before drinks on that first, on that last morning, suddenly I reckon it was 50-50, and then it swung back to England with Root and Stokes partnership, and then it swung back to us. So you know, just a roller coaster on that last day. Yeah, and Neil Wagner. Now, we were probably foolish to think he didn't have one last final act, and and maybe there might be a few more chapters to follow. But an incredible servant to New Zealand cricket. You know, turned the fight. You know, turned the furnace on once again to to you know, to deliver the key blows because they were the key blows. The final wicket's obviously going to be replayed over and over and over and over again in perpetuity. But, Jacob, he gets rid of Ben Stokes and Joe Root, who are the heart of that batting lineup. Yeah, and, and as I said before, I think that that partnership took it from New Zealand probably being favourites at around about drinks on the last morning to England are the favourites heading into what was the second session of the day. I mean, that partnership, I think it was about 120 worth, that partnership, just took it back to England. And you thought, yep, these two, you know, Root, he was like Kane, just played unbelievably well. And Stokes has a history of nailing down New Zealand, unfortunately. So um, I thought the game was pretty much, well, almost gone. And then you throw Wagner the ball, you set the field for the short stuff, you know what's coming, everyone knew what was coming. And when you look at it in a vacuum, you sort of, you think, oh, well, that's what Neil Wagner's done in the past. He's got over 200 test wickets and, he, you know, he's no mug. He's a good bowler. But then I think when you look at the last, the, the recent history and, and even in some quarters, Neil Wagner's position was being questioned and you could almost argue rightly so. And, but then true champions always stand up when you're probably least expecting it or their backs against the wall. And that there was just the perfect example of that. He came and he dismissed not just one, but both of those set batters and uh, then proceeded to bowl another, what, eight or nine overs and a 10-over spell and get that last wicket. Truly amazing, you know, just to, at 36 years of age to do that, keep running in and hit the middle of the wicket. Um, physically and mentally must be so tough on the guy. Tim Southey, was he a bit of an unsung hero in that final innings? 
know, three for 45 of 20.1 overs. I think he bowled 13 overs in the first session on that last day. Yeah, look, I don't think New Zealand start, started well on the, the night of the fourth day. And as I said, England got away. They lost one wicket, but um, Saudi picked up Crawley. But, you know, they were just short of 50. I think they were like 47, weren't they? Something like that for, for one. Um, neither Henry or Saudi or Bracewell actually bowled that well on the fourth night. But then when Tim came back, both of them came back, Tim's first spell, I think, was about seven overs. He bowled brilliantly. And then when Henry went down with that back spasm and um, Tim just grabbed the ball back off him and, and continued on. I thought his accuracy was fantastic. The fields he set, the plans he had in place, you could see what he was trying to do to Root in particular, just hang it out wide of the off stump, let Root try and run it down to third man, but he had catches there for that. I thought it was real cat and mouse stuff and the, the intricacies of test cricket, which we love. But interesting, though, I was surprised he didn't come back on earlier, um, you know, towards the end there. But when he did, obviously, he got the big wicket of Ben Folks. Um, yeah, so I, uh, yeah, unsung probably because he doesn't get the highlights of say the Wagner or the Henry spell. Um, but yeah, I mean, quality bowler. We know Tim has been around for so long now. He's the captain and lead from the front. I'm not trying to diminish what we've witnessed. It was truly extraordinary, and, and, and that game in of itself, the twists and turns, how England played a wonderful role, um, how entertaining they were throughout the series, how much better they looked uh, at times, but the, the fighting qualities of New Zealand can't really under, be underestimated. But life does go on, Jake. They've got another series starting, um, well, on Thursday, isn't it? It's on Thursday. They've done, named an unchanged squad from, from what I um, can remember. <laughs> you know, it's only a couple of days ago, but yeah, can't no, read around unchanged, it. But, yeah. but now, and, and now Gavin Larson has announced he's moved on. It, that, that sort of makes sense, doesn't it? He moves on. You don't make changes. You let the new selector sort of put their fingers uh, all over the future? Or, or is there still a bit of a missed opportunity? Um, because, you know, age age is a factor for so many fans when they're assessing the side. Well, you did right. I mean, let, let's say that the last day hadn't gone New Zealand's way. And, to, and I think if we're honest, I mean, England controlled that test. But that's the beauty of test cricket is that you can be out of the game for 75% of it and you have a good last 25% and you win the match. And that's kind of how, I mean, New Zealand got asked to follow on. They were well behind the game for pretty much 75% of the game. But absolute kudos to them for fighting back the way they did and then knocking England over in the last innings. If it hadn't gone New Zealand's way, it's a real good discussion around would there have been changes or has basically 50, 60 overs of good cricket meant that it's the same squad going forward. Um, so it's, it's a really interesting one. I don't, I don't know if Gavin Larson leaving has anything to do with the, the same squad going on to face Sri Lanka. I think that's right. just a, a fact that it's like, hey, you've just won the last test. Um, we're going to go ahead and, and keep you know investing in the same group of players. I do see, um, was it Sodi, Jamison, who's obviously injured, and someone else has been released. Oh, Jacob Duffy. But, yes. yeah, I mean, at some point, I mean, this side, I mean, that was it the Mount Monganui test or was it the Wellington test? Everyone was over 30 years old. So this side is, you know, you know, father time will, will not stop. At some point, they do need to look at the next wave of, you know, players coming through, one or two of them. Uh, maybe three or four guys in the next one to two years need to be brought in so they can get that experience with the likes of Saudi and Williamson and Latham while they're still around and learn off them. What areas give you the longest pause, I guess, when you're contemplating the makeup of a side more longer term? Um, well, at the moment, um, 
I think spin bowling is probably one. I think I think Michael Bracewell is actually a quality all-rounder. His, his batting is, is awesome to have coming in at number eight. I think he was great set of hands. I mean, he got a couple of good catches, or one stunning catch in the first innings, diving way to his left. Um, you know, good run out of Harry Brook on the last day. Um, and I think his bowling is actually really good. Joe Root talked to him, but apart from that, he was he was very handy. Bowled well in the first innings, picked up three wickets. But I still think it'd be nice to have that specialist spinner in behind him. I mean, East Sodi, AJ's Patel were used in Pakistan, but both aren't in the squad now. Is that saying something? Yep, probably. So who's our next spinner coming through? I also, you know, it looks like Tickner, Kugeline and Duffy in no particular order are the next seamers. Again, I think all of them are over 30 or maybe Tickner's 29. So that would concern me in terms of, you know, attrition and, and really looking into the future. Um, I have no names for you. I can't say who would be next there. It's not my... I'm not a selector. It's not my job to think of the other names, but I just think somehow New Zealand cricket, the high-performance network or programme needs, you know, and I'm sure they are, well, I, I know they are, are looking for the next wave. I think the batting set, I still think, even though those guys are in their 30s, batters can keep going for a lot longer. Blake and Conway Williamson um, and the like, um, you know, they're probably there for hopefully at least another three or four years, you would think. Uh, I'm not sure I, I, I want to see an, another test match full of that drama and tenseness, Jacob. I, I don't know about you. I aged quite a few days covering that. Um, you know, I'd, I'd be quite happy with, you know, a comfortable innings victory against Sri Lanka. Or um, if it doesn't go our way, um, I'd love Sri Lanka to uh, make sure they win both test matches, uh, make sure Australia carry on their fine efforts of the last test in India and get a win or a draw. And that means Sri Lanka would burgle a backdoor entry into the World Test Championship final against Australia. Wouldn't that be just magnificent at the expense of our dear friends from India? I didn't know Sri Lanka actually that had done that well, to be fair. And, and <laughs> I hate to burst your bubble, but I don't see them. Um, I don't see the results going those ways, unfortunately. I mean, I would be surprised if New Zealand don't win the, the, the series. Um, weather dependent, you know, who knows what's happening with our weather around the country at the moment, but I, I would, especially when it's Christchurch and we know Hagley's got pace and bounce and if there's grass, which there will be, um, that would be very foreign to, to Sri Lanka. Um, I think New Zealand will be buoyed by what happened at the Basin and they'll likely go in with the same, I would say, the same team um, and Saudi will keep swinging it, Wagner will keep bouncing it and Henry with his accuracy and little seam movement will be probably too hot to handle. I see it going that way, um, but it's, I think it's a really important series. It's almost a, a dead rubber for New Zealand in terms of the World Test Championship, but in terms of springboarding into the next phase of Test cricket, I think it's really important for a few of them, as we mentioned before, with some guys getting older and you know sliding doors moment. What would have happened if that last day hadn't gone New Zealand's way? Yeah, absolutely. Well said, Jake. It was wonderful seeing you again, working with you again, and hopefully. We'll hear your voice on the show again uh, real soon, Jacob Warren. Thanks so much for dropping by and go enjoy your weekend. Thanks, Dan. Back to the kids' cricket. Cheers, mate. <laughs> Good stuff. Uh, man of uh, all levels as far as uh, cricket. He's uh, a fine cricketing mind as Jacob Warren, and uh, it was wonderful working alongside him. Really interesting to get his perspective. Your perspective also welcome on double eight double three. Um, you can pick up the phone 0800-150-811. One word... One word to describe that test. You know I love a one-word answer, Ben Francis. Have you got one word? One. Um, I, I wrote down, I, I put it to Steve Harmison, the former fiery fast bowler I was working with, talks about, he described it as revolutionary, the game itself, uh, that it was so um, 
crazy. And Neil Manthorpe called it as heart-stopping. That's saying something for a guy's commentator over 300 tests, I think. Well, What's your one word? And we'll put that to the listeners too on double eight double three, and they can fire through their messages. If I had to pick one, based on my initial reaction, I was speechless. Because I, had, I honestly did not think the Black Caps would fight their way back, and I was actually very impressed. You guys touched on it there about Neil Wagner. Kind of had a lot of criticism throughout the test, and then he's the one that comes up trumps and... You know, those are the he. It kind of shows you why a guy like that is there. He steps up when you need him most, especially in New Zealand conditions. It, it sounds dramatic because it is a little bit dramatic, but I don't think it's overly dramatic to say. I, I think Neil Wagner had arguably one spell on that final day to save his test career. And his first spell, he did enough. Joe Root's trying to play positively. Yes, Root hit him away for a couple of boundaries, but I think I think he was able to control the scoring rate around about four runs and over. That bought him the second spell. He also got a wicket in that first spell. And then he comes back, and that lion-hearted effort over 10 overs unchanged. Uh, brilliant stuff. Um, your thoughts are welcome. That was uh, swinging both ways an eye on that uh, test match that, you know, wrapped up on Tuesday, but we're never going to forget it. Uh, we thank Jacob Borum for his time. We also thank our uh, dear friends who helped bring us uh, this segment, uh, PGG Wrightson. PGG Wrightson Turf, premium suppliers of turf seed and maintenance products to cricket grounds around New Zealand. Back after this. Keep your thoughts coming in, comments too, on double eight double three. You can always pick up the phone. Love hearing your voice and your opinions. 0800 We've had a monumental night of Friday night sport. If you want to dissect uh, what we uh, discussed at the top of the show, please feel free. Now is your opportunity. If you want to reflect on what's happened earlier in the week as well, as far as the test cricket, uh, you're more than welcome to as well. We've just uh, spoken to Jacob Borum. If you're just tuning in to our coverage, check out our social media. You can uh, listen to that full interview with uh, Jake Borum, the former New Zealand uh, all-rounder. Let's get to a couple of uh, your messages. Um, we wanted one word, one word to describe that test, mess, uh, te- test match conclusion. Speechless was Ben Francis. Uh, Cookie writes, epic. One word, epic. It's pretty sound, Cookie. So Cookie's got the ball rolling. For some reason, I'm going to listen to Faith no more. I don't know why. Uh, keep your messages coming through. Ted writes, and this uh, relates to the Adi Savia incident last night. Uh, you can only imagine what the halfback said to Adi to get that reaction from him. Interesting, the Rebels pull the halfback when Adi returned, then placing him in front of the camera to get him to play down what happened. Cheers from Ted. So you don't have an issue with what Adi Savia did? It's kind of a whataboutism, right? Like, Someone might have said something to him. Well, I don't know for a fact, but I guess you're connecting the dots and I, I don't know if there was uh, any provocation there. not sure it even changes my mind on how I think about it overall because I've, I've said, what's the big deal? Maybe I'm misreading uh, the scenario. Maybe there should be some form of sanction, but I'd love people to explain to me exactly why. Why? We've got two marks here talking about the NRL, uh, Ben Francis. Quite interesting. I'll pull these two out as far as the NRL. And there's a few messages on that. One mark writes, NRL, Storm and Penrith have, uh, have had players go to new clubs and it will be a far more even competition. You'd agree with that? I always felt the Storm were going to struggle this year. I'm kind of surprised with the Panthers uh, decline. Also, it would be very interesting to see how the likes of the Bulldogs and the Tigers go because uh, the Bulldogs got Kikau from there, the Tigers got Coruscant, so it'll be very, very interesting to see how those two teams go with those players because they really missed them last night. 
But in broad brushstrokes, is it an even competition? More even, yes. More even than last year. More even than last year. Other Mark writes, wow, the boys, the Warriors struggled to beat a team that as of a couple of weeks ago were favourites for the spoon. And if the very, very, very dubious doctor called to get Ponga off for no reason hadn't happened, the crap and will struggle all year, forget about the eight. Crikey, Mark. Happy chappy, aren't you? I didn't say they're going to win the competition. All I said is if they can match that defensively, each week they give themselves a chance, don't they? But Mark's going off pre-season, pre-season odds for a 26-week competition. I think we've got an entry for Sporting Punch you should probably run a mile from. Picking someone to win a wooden spoon of a competition before it starts, right? That is, that is one punt I would never make. Um, I'm a Melbourne Storm member and I'm glad we won and I admire the Warriors and respect the way they play for their club. That's uh, Jason uh, texting from across the ditch. And Brian writes, greetings, Daniel. Firstly, nice work. Ari, the cricket commentary. Enjoyed it thoroughly. As for the Ardy saga, I do like that saga. The Ardy saga. No big deal. Good to see some fire and brimstone. It will give Aussies a chance to return the favour of Boohim every game. And we as we did after Quade Cooper was after dropping a knee into Richie's noggin. Thank you very much, Brian. So no big deal, nothing to see here. There you go. Artie's done them a favour. He can be their boo boy. Now what I, I do hope that, I hope Australian rugby fans don't have as long a memory as New Zealand rugby fans who just booed Quade Cooper to boring, preposterously boring levels over way too long a period. 11 away from 11 now. Text line is double eight double three. Keep your messages rolling in. Uh, we will be back after this very short break. We are coming up towards the top of the hour. What is the time as it hurriedly finds uh, the right screen? It's six minutes away from 11 o'clock. We've got uh, lots to get through in the next hour. A lot of balls and hoops type action. The ANZ Netball uh, Premiership uh, starts later today now, doesn't it? Later this evening, quarter past seven. The defending champions of Central Pulse uh, start off against the Magic tomorrow. We'll go inside the Pulse's camp with their head coach, Yvette McCausland-Drury. Knows uh, one or two things about winning this competition and being at uh, the business end. Uh, those interviews will appear between 11 and 12 o'clock. We'll break down the Warriors' uh, victory last night in more detail and look at, ahead to some of the other games in the opening weekend of the uh, uh, NRL competition. And we will do that with Joel Kane, a commentator from SEN. Can't wait to get him on the program. Um, and maybe we just finish with one more of your correspondence on double eight, double three. We got one here from an unnamed texter, but who writes, uh, was happy with the Warriors' effort last night, responded after conceding early, turned up when they needed to in the game, but Johnson's kicking has me worried. You'd think he would have a prodigious boot. Kicks for touch, last tackle kicks were not top six material. Happy with the D in the heart. Dylan Walker really gave them go forward when he came on. I think you're a name texter. I'm, I'm not leaving you to last because you're basically repeating what I said at the top of the program. But I kind of am, aren't I, Ben? I like it when people reaffirm my thinking. It's all about the D and the heart, Sean. But that's the bare minimum. More of that, please. Got to do that each and every week. And someone writes here, my cricket hero at the basin was Blundell. Heaps of runs, standing up to the quicks. Stifled palms, attacking plans, moving up and down. Should have been player of the match. Keep those messages coming in to double eight double three. Oh, why am I laughing and smiling? Well, I've got the sacks for a start. 
Ben Francis. That always gets me going on a Saturday. This is the Saturday session. Daniel McCartney, Ben Francis, with you through to one o'clock. I also get a great chuckle. You know, you know Ben, uh, I'm more of a grizzle vet than you are. You've been in the radio game for long, no long enough. There are certain topics that just set off a certain section of the New Zealand sporting public. Their mind ablaze, right? And and one of them, one of them is Tim Southey's batting. Tim Southey's batting has all has always been a lightning rod for conversation. So we've just had a test as Cookie wrote, epic, unstoppable, speechless, heart stopping. I don't know if the, this texter James has uh, texted earlier to the station to actually comment on the test itself. Maybe this is his fifteenth. Maybe he's well down uh, the rung of of thoughts. But I do find it funny after I've uh, just talked about the, the brilliant effort Tim Southey with the ball on the final day, where he bowled 13 overs in a session, picked up three for 45, led New Zealand to victory. That James Ryan, answer me this, please. Why has Tim Southey's, why has New Zealand cricket allowed Tim Southey to bat at eight, nine, or ten when he regularly throws away his wicket? No discipline at all in the last ten years as a batsman. Well, two things stick out there for me. Uh, ben Francis, and, and please feel free to disagree with me. He's not a batsman. He's a bowler. And if you're counting on numbers 8, 9, 10, 11 to squeeze test runs, you're probably not going to win games. So um, maybe, maybe your priorities are wrong there. And if I'm not mistaken, Ben Francis, he hurriedly tries to find his notes. Didn't Tim Southey make 73 in the first innings of that test match? With the bat? Oh, sorry. I'm just speechless, Daniel. I think there must be something in the water out there today because I, I was expecting a, a few more happy texts, but people are just wanting to just have a go at everyone. Warriors suck. Don't buy. The, don't drink the Kool-Aid of oh, a really good defensive w- effort last night. And we've got to relitigate Tim Southey's batting. After a size, this one of the most, one of the most extraordinary test matches ever. Where he bowled bloody brilliantly, scored 73 runs, but his batting's a problem. Must all be Aucklanders, Daniel. We're just, we're just all, just all just frustrated. Just the, the littlest things are just winding us up at the moment. Anyway, just thought I'd want to share that with people. Yeah, there are some topics that just get, you know, Peter Griffin on family grinds my gears. Tim Southey's batting has ground a lot of people's gears over the years. Oh, but rhyme in there, fantastic. Not sure why you count on him to do that every innings. You know, he's a bowler. Pretty good one. That. Anyway, where are we? Headlines, yes, because it's the top of the hour, isn't it, Ben Francis? And Brent Francis has put these together magnificently well. It's three minutes after 11 o'clock, and Australia sealed their place in June's World Test Championship final with a nine-wicket win over India in the third test in indoor. Um, chasing 76 to win, uh, the Australians made the worst possible start with Usman Khawaja out second ball of the day, caught behind. He reviewed a decision upheld. But... Travis Head made 49 not out, and Manus Lava-Skakni, an unbeaten 28, as the tourists won before lunch on day number three. They will face India, or yes, Jacob Borum, if you're listening, Sri Lanka. Sri Lanka can still make the final. But they have to beat New Zealand two matches to nil. And I also think what India failed to win the fourth test against Australia. So there's some big ifs there. Uh, New Zealand, of course, uh, play Sri Lanka starting next Thursday. 
Uh, Brazilian forward uh, Roberto Firmino. Uh, Firmino is to leave Liverpool when his contract expires at the end of the season. 31-year-old has been with the Reds since joining them in a £29 million deal from Hoffenheim in June 2015. He helped Liverpool win the Champions League, Premier League, FA Cup, EFL and World Club Cup during his time at Anfield. He's played 353 times for Liverpool, scoring 107 goals and providing 70 assists. Uh, Liverpool manager Jurgen Klopp uh, says he wanted Firmino to stay with the club while the player had been in discussions over a new contract he has chosen to move on. Uh, On behalf of all Liverpool fans, which I certainly clearly am one, um, thank you, Bobby, is all we can say. And the Crusaders are back. After a loss to the Chiefs in the opening round, the Crusaders got their Super Rugby Pacific title defence back on track with a 52-15 thrashing of the Highlanders in Melbourne. The Crusaders had seven different try scorers in a win, which was the first time they had scored 50 points against their southern neighbours. And I have been rightfully uh, told by uh, Ben Francis that the captain Harmon, for the second straight week, complimented the Highlanders' defence after conceding more than 50 points. Excellent. That is the latest in sports headlines. It is 11 minutes after, uh, sorry, five minutes after 11. I was going to say 11 minutes after five, and then, well, God knows why I'd be here at that time. Because the good oil is on from one o'clock. I do know the time now, now that I've corrected myself. Uh, Keep your comments coming through, double eight, double three, or you can pick up the phone 0800-150-811. Chris writes, actually, uh, Dan, I actually think it was Tim's first innings that turned the game as it sort of wrestled the momentum back in our favour. Amazing game, writes Chris. Chris, don't tell James that. Don't tell James that. He he would hate to know that Tim Southern's batting actually contributed significantly to a fight back, for which it did, did it not? Hurriedly checks notes. When Southie comes to the crease, New Zealand are 103 for 7, Ben Francis, in the third session of day number two. Uh, when he departs in the first session uh, on day three, he's got 73 to his name. New Zealand barely push up towards uh, the follow-on, but get over 200 runs, and every run literally counted in that game. Well, they counted every game, but they counted more. I know they didn't count more, but you know what I'm trying to say. Uh, let's get to um, dishing out some awards here before we get to a break, and uh, we'll talk some netball with uh, Yvette McCaws and Drew from the Central Pulse in about uh, you know, five or six minutes' time. But it is that time of the week um, where we call for your nominations for our workhorse of the week, who in the sporting world has impressed you mightily with their efforts or non-efforts. We like to have a nomination and a non-nomination ourselves, uh, Ben Francis. This is all in association with Midas Agritise. Uh, Midas Agritise, the choice of leading manufacturers. And because I'm riding solo, don't have anyone in the studio with me today, I'll rely on Ben Francis um, to bounce off me. But maybe I'll do my nomination a little bit later, my actual nomination. But I I have a non-nomination. Um, I'm going to stay in the realm of cricket, Ben Francis. Um, and I'm sure many of people have caught up with the epically exciting six T20 international uh, between... Spain and the Isle of Man. The Isle Isle of Man's tour of Spain. Gripping. It's been gripping the cricketing world. Ben, have you heard of this? Surely you've heard of this. 
Uh, no, I haven't, Daniel. I'm, I'm very intrigued. Very intrigued. You have not heard of this. People have not heard of this? this is, where have you been? What, New Zealand and England playing an all-time classic? No, that's had nothing on Isle of Man's tour of Spain. We're in the sixth T20 international in Cartagena. Some Spanish person will tell me if I've got that wrong. Please do. Isle of Man lost by 10 wickets. Spain elected as won the toss and elected to bowl. Isle of Man, let me run through their scorecard. McCauley, naught. Burrows, two. Ward, two. Hartman, captain, no score. Beard, gone, first ball. Webster, gone, golden duck. Burrows, yes, the second Burrows, made four. Butler, two. Clark, naught. Walker, naught, not out. And Quarty, the last to go without scoring. There were no extras, and I hope you've been paying attention. Only four people got runs, a total of 10. Ben Francis, a total of 10. That is a... But wait, but wait, there's more. Oh, no. So bowled out for 10. The Island of Man were bowled out for 10. In reply, Spain... With 13 without loss after two balls. <laughs> they won in two balls and got 13. Now, I know wow. you're doing the math. Yes, there was a no ball. They bowled a no ball, and Awas Ahmed hit two sixes. <laughs> One after a free hit. So Joseph Burrows, who in fairness had been very good with the bat earlier, scoring 40% of his team's total of 10. Bowled 0.2 overs, none for 13. So in a T20 game, Spain won by 10 wickets and had 19.4 overs remaining. So my non-nomination goes to the Isle of Man. Brilliant figures for the likes of Mohamed Kamran, a 4 for 4 of 4 overs, and Atif Mahmoud 4 for 6. And Lorne Burns, another good Spanish name there, Lorne Burns, took two for none. Yes, I, I could nominate them, but I'm clearly going with my non-nomination to the Isle of Man cricket team for being bowled out for 10 and losing after bowling just two balls. Ben Francis, that's pretty special, isn't it? That's incredible. That pretty special. I'm, I'm just having a look at the rest of the results from the, from the, from the series to see. Oh, it's an epic series. Wow, I, I, I'm speechless. This is this has literally left me speechless. I know I've already used that word, but I I might have to disregard the word for the Black Caps England game and put it towards this. Wow, bowled out, bowled out for ten, six ducks, seven ducks, six ducks here, yeah, six ducks, and the team chased it down in two balls. We will take a break. Uh, we will speak probably a higher caliber of sport after the break with a very high caliber netball coach. The defending champs of the ANZ netball uh, competition are the Central Pulse. They are looking um, to start off with a, a winning way again uh, tomorrow when they take on the Magic at 10 past four. Uh, the competition starts later tonight with the Mystics up against the Steel. We'll catch up with the Central Pulse head coach, Yvette McCalls and Drury. The time is 16 minutes after 11 o'clock. This is the Saturday session. Uh, we're into March already. There's so much going on 
Our sporting calendar gets utterly cluttered in March, and we love it. I always call March, March Madness. It is a, a wonderful time of the year as seasons overlap. You've got seasons coming to an end. You've got new seasons bursting into life. We saw the NRL kick off this weekend, Super Rugby the weekend before. And later tonight, uh, we have plenty of netball action coming our way. In fact, a whole heap of netball coming our way in the 2023 ANZ Premier, Premiership. I think a 15-round season condensed into 12 weekends. Uh, that will be fun for coaches. Luckily, we've got a coach from the ANZ Netball uh, Premiership and a pretty darn fine one. Uh, the current champions of our domestic uh, netball showpiece competition is, of course, the Central Pulse. And we are delighted to welcome in their head coach, uh, Yvette McCausland-Drew, on the eve of another season. Yvette, great to have you on the show. I trust you're doing well. Yeah, looking forward to it. I think, like everybody else, the preseason seems to go on forever and ever. So nice to finally get to this pointy end and get a game. <laughs> Your preseasons go, what, a third of the length of the season? It's way too long, Yvette. Oh, a lot of calaver in it, but no, it's good. It's been we've had a few little injuries and some um, COVID, so actually we've really valued that little bit of extra time, and everybody's now um, yeah, available and ready to go. I know you're a forward-thinking type individual, but let me uh, 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 allow me to take you back to, to the end of last season, winning the title, and what was a a really really fascinating year, wasn't it? There, there seemed to be. Every week, someone could beat someone. I, I think through the opening four or five weeks, most of your games were by one or two goals here or there. It was a very close run thing, but your side found great form at the back end of the competition, uh, and credit to you. So how do you, how do you reflect on last year's triumph of 2022? Yeah, look, I think at the time we actually talked about it being a little bit surreal and, and we were we were a bit of a slow burn. We certainly weren't picked and probably nothing's changed. We're not probably picked again to be near that top end. But um, I think for us, we've been really clear. Some of the learnings that we got, I, like you were saying, the competition's really tight and that's part of that point system that's, uh, you know, three for a win and then one for being five or, or under. And I think that keeps the competition competitive right through to that last round. So... We've got to make sure that we're getting points every game and not an easy thing to do, but ideally the other threes, but ideally getting ones um, if not. So I think for us, we, we learned that we had lots of opportunities and just weren't good enough with possession. So some of our decision-making under pressure was challenged. So we've worked really hard on that and I've seen some really good maturity in our group. The bonus point system affected the top three on the table, didn't it? I think the stars slipped beyond, below your it side did. on that. I think they had one more win. So you have to factor it in. Is it good for the game, though? Do you think overall, does it encourage the, the type is, of netball? Yeah. That, that's great for fans and, and, I guess, developing netballers for the next level? Yeah, I think it's good in the sense that uh, it is definitely about fan engagement as well, but it keeps teams fighting and competing through to the end. And with a three-round competition when you're playing everybody, you know, three times, it means that, um, if the point system was is wider, then by round two, you probably would have already known who was going to be in that top three. So I think from that perspective, it's really important that it maintains, the competition maintains its integrity right through to the end. So, yeah, it certainly worked for us anyway. But <laughs> no, we look, I look, I think it's, it makes a big difference. And when you're that close, within five, you really have been competing. So great to get a point out of it. But, um, yeah, just got to win by one to take three. Well, that means coaches have to scream every fourth quarter, even if it's lopsided, right? You keep you have to keep barking orders, Yvette. But you, 
<laughs> which you're pretty proud of doing, are you not? Our bench, we're good at that. Our be- I don't think that they hear me, to be honest, but our bench is certainly enthusiastic. So I think they came with a fair bit of energy in the back end. And um, No, look, I'm looking forward to it. It's a really even competition. There's been a lot of player movement, and that's really you know put pressure on all of us to, to step up. And everyone's got the same goal, that they want to be in that ANZ Premiership Grand Final. So I can't wait to get started. You sounded like you were downplaying your uh, squad's chances. I've read elsewhere, others again think your side's going to be one of the very best out there. So how much player transition have you had from the end of last season to this? Yeah, we've got, I mean, certainly we do have some stability. Seven of our, um, you know, players are, are back again uh, with, well, actually six six who were there previously. So new for us is Famu Iwani. She was with Mystics and then prior to that with the Stars. So she's a wing defence centre. She comes in to the side and our import player, Joyce Imbula, has uh, come over from Malawi. So again, that African style, that ability to have really great power and just a point of difference. And she plays both goal attack and goal shoot. But I've been also really impressed with our young ones that predominantly played in and out with Central Manawa last year and were significant in that win for that team. But Amelia Wormsley, Paris Mason and Ainsleyana uh, Puliatia. So they've come such a long way, and that's been having them around the environment last season's made a big difference. Yeah. So the biggest change for, for those who'll be you know tuning in, you know watching or listening to last year is the combinations that you can throw at oppositions in that shooting circle. Uh, Leah Dunn, you know, moving on, um, Joyce and others coming in there. So is it like for like, or yeah. completely sort of different dynamics this year in that final third? Yeah, look, I think everyone's different. I think Amelia, she's just turned 19, has really grown in her game and is definitely more of a holding shooter. So that was something that Alia had, you know, huge strength in and her consistency at the post was absolutely phenomenal. So that's been a, a real big step up for Amelia in that space. And then with Joyce having another shooter that can play really both, um, goal attack and goal shoots, got some height, but more importantly has mobility. So that sort of has changed a little bit the way we play that back end, but the maturity of the combination in the middle, we've got um, with Tiana at goal attack, at wing attack, Whitney Sunison at centre, um, Maddie Gordon. That, uh, that's what I've been really um, excited about, seeing that change in terms of their maturity around decision-making. And then at our back end, Kelly Jury, I mean, she was amazing last season, and it's uh, always hard to beat that, but we're hoping she can at least be level with that performance this season, and she teams up with Christiana Manua again, and that time together in that defensive circle makes a difference as well. So, yeah, look, I think there's some some consistency there, and there's some links. But um, yeah, we'll, we'll be under pressure, like everyone will be every game, and that's stuff we thrive on. So, I look forward to it. So that's the challenge you've laid at Kelly. Jury will be your skipper again. I can only assume. So I should have probably fact checked that. What that she needs to be yeah, better than, and, or you'd like you, 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 yeah, you're setting her. A challenge of being better than last year, even though she was what league MVP. Yeah, look, you can always be better, can't you? Every year, I think, is just, <laughs> and that for us is the challenge. We we want to do really well as a team, but we're also really aware it's World Cup year, and so we want to make sure that we're putting each of our individual players in a position to be considered, and that will mean for each of them just that consistency, not only week in week out, but within the game and. Too often we had lapses where we just didn't hold a consistent performance until the final, which is very rare uh, to be able yes. to do that. And I think actually we all turned up on the same day and played incredibly well. And 
we didn't do that all season. We either had the attacks who were tuned in and the defence were tuned out, or the defence were tuned in and the attacks were tuned out. So, um, yeah, good challenge for us. The consistency, it sounds so simple, doesn't it? But it's the ultimate challenge. But, but but you're so right, and you, you, you've had a lot of continuity over a number of years at, at the Pulse, and you were simply superb mm. in that final. That was an extraordinary performance. I think in 2020 was a great performance in the final. Uh, mainly it was because you mm. finally won one in 2019 after a couple of, you know, um, you know, you know, falling over at the the, the the last hurdle, you know, and there's belief that we can win those big games. Maybe that's maybe that's yeah. innate in, in the yeah. group because you've got a winning culture, and we all know the history of the first few years. It was really challenging. So, what? Why is it working now over an extended period? What do you think you and the whole team, management team, yeah, have got right I, over a number of years? Yeah, agreed. It takes a number of people, and I think we've got a really good system of um, specialist knowledge along with a really outstanding CEO who leads our program um, really strongly and then on top of that the ability to retain athletes and be really clear with them about what role they're going to play within that environment so that they're settled but at the same time you've got a balance of internal competition and I think like you say once you've been successful that helps but we've you know from those early years we can't even compare we're able to train more consistently in those early years, we, we were very much semi-professional and those players were all still working full-time and I was still working um, as well and teaching and driving between Palmerston North. So they are worlds apart in terms of our ability to create a performance environment that everybody lives within. Like we all live within five, six minutes from the stadium. We can train uh, several times a day and get breaks in between. And I think that, that ability to have consistency of people, um, consistency of what we're about is huge. Sorry, Yvette, I've just got an issue with my mic. It wouldn't turn on. That was kind of terrifying for three seconds. But it then <laughs> it turned on, so a, I can speak. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Respect the pause. There's nothing wrong with it. Yvette, are you are you a netball numpty? Like, will you watch every game this weekend? Are, are you one of those ones who just has to consume as much netball as possible? Or do you live in your little pulse world? I do live a little bit in my own world. I think, um, particularly opening game, it's as much as we know a bit about the opposition and we're aware and we've had a look at that, we know in this first round, and it's going to take the whole round, is we've got to be really clear about what we're going to deliver and, and look really hard at ourselves first and foremost. And I think everybody will be a bit that way in round one. Just uh, We've got enough challenges on our own without having to worry about what the opposition are going to do. They're going to do what they do, and we can't control all of that. But um, we want to be better at controlling the way we want to play, and hopefully that has the right impact. That uh, that group you're up against tomorrow at 4 o'clock, how do you rate them as far as on paper? Because it's still on, on paper. I know there's been a pre-season tournament and so on and so forth, but these early season games um, you know, can be quite tricky. Yeah, look, you look at them on paper and they've got a number of ferns in the ranks and I think w- what we know hugely about this game is if you can shoot consistently, you've got a chance. So they've got two outstanding um, shooters in that space and a third one who backs up really well. So they are extremely competitive, they're experienced, they've been around a while, their mid-court has been you know, around for a wee while as well. So th- what they've got is some real clarity around how they play and they keep it consistent. You get consistent performances out of players, experienced players, week in, week out. So we know they'll be hugely competitive. And we've had some tight matches with them in past years. I think the, our opening match against Magic last year, we went into overtime. So they got a turnover, we got a turnover, and 
thankfully we ended up winning it, but they're always competitive. I think it's going to be the same with every team this season. Everybody's got strike power. Indeed. Well, we hope it's, uh, as from a fan's perspective, we hope it's as tight and as up and down as last year. It really was a great ride. So many tight games, mm. people in the mix, the, the point system. I'm not sure if it you know, it helped you in the stress levels, uh, Yvette, but um, you, you were doing us a wonderful service, and you've done us a wonderful service joining the show today. Thanks so much for dropping by. Pleasure. Pleasure. Thank you very much for your interest. Yvette McCaws and Drew from the Central Pulse, the defending champions of the ANZ Netball uh, Premierships from last year. Yeah, they've had a good run over the last uh, five or six years. I think they've been in five grand finals dating back to 2017. Um, a few uh, players have come and gone, but you would expect them to um, certainly be competing uh, for those playoff positions. As far as uh, other games, uh, this round, round number one, it all starts tonight. Trust Arena in Auckland. It is the Mystics up against the Steel. Uh, that's the first game. Um, the next game is in uh, Fly Palmy Arena, Palmerston North on Sunday uh, with the Pulse play the Magic uh, before Pullman Arena in Auckland uh, will feature the Stars hosting the Mainland Tactics. So there's your opening group of games, three games. Um, and then there's, I think, a proper week's break. Um, the games do come thick and fast throughout the season. I think 15 rounds and 12 weekends. So uh, there will be some uh, heavy workloads for some of the teams at particular stages of the season. Uh, but we look forward to following all the action here on uh, SCNZ as far as the ANZ Premiership season is concerned. Bang on half past 11. Uh, back after this break with more. 26 minutes away from 12 o'clock. And as we've been discussing with you as far as talkback and also getting your messages on uh, the text machine on double eight to double three. It has been a wonderful night of sport overnight. So much high quality action. And a big part of that, of course, was the start of the Australian NBL finals series with the Sydney Kings hosting at the New Zealand Breakers in game number one last evening. And it was the Breakers who got up to win by eight points, uh, holding a, a lead throughout most of that game last night. Um, we were able to provide you coverage of it here on SCNZ. We will do so for um, the remainder of the series, and we can't wait uh, to see where this one plays out, and we cannot wait to welcome in our next guest who knows one or two things, or a million things, about uh, this uh, league, this competition, these two sides, and uh, how even the series could still possibly um, uh, promise to be. And we do that now by speaking to a man who's played in this competition he was uh, part of the 2009 Melbourne United squad and since retiring has been uh, part of the NBL commentary team. He is uh, NBL analyst uh, Peter Hurley, who's kind enough to join us here on the program. Uh, morning, Peter. How are you? You good? Doing well, doing well. Thanks for having me. Where are we, where do we, where are we touching base with you? You're in Sydney town and uh, you know the streets are awash with Sydney Kings tears. No, I'm still I'm still down in Melbourne. They had the other guys Good. flew up for that one, but um, yeah, I tell you what, it was a very fascinating performance and one that I think if you actually broke down and understood the way New Zealand's been playing the game of basketball, not take everything else out of it, it's not too surprising because they seem to have figured everything out. Okay, elaborate on that. What have they? What's number one on all the things they've figured out? And obviously, I won't ask you to go through all of them because we'll be here for eternity. But number one, what's the thing they've worked out more than most? 
I mean, we look at the, the MVP of the league, Xavier Cooks, and the one thing that has been his biggest holdback is the way that he shoots the ball, and we know it's not consistent, and they really just shrunk the floor on him and tried to limit what he could do well. And, and on the other end, he, he rebounds the ball well as well. So you put Joel Brantley on on Xavier Cooks to limit him on the rebounding efforts. And then as soon as he gets the ball, everybody closes their gap and he doesn't really see much space. And I thought they did that exceptionally well. And I guess you, you really limit the MVP. Other guys have to step up more than normal. And when you have to do that on the fly, it's really hard to adjust to as part of the team. And that's what we saw from Sydney. So to do that, does that take all five on the court to do so? Or is it a double team? You know, the defensive schemes to, to limit the, the MVP to two from 10 from the floor and just what I think, Eight points overall, that's the stuff I guess the, the defensive coaches dream of as far as the breakers are concerned. Yeah, it is. And look, it's exactly what Modi Mayo said all the way since the preseason. They want to have that defensive mindset and it comes with a bunch of different structures. So Jarrell Brantley, the guy who's going to start on Xavier Cooks, but when he's guarding him one-on-one, it's where's Derek Pardon position behind him so that Xavier Cooks sees him. And it's also understanding that if you're guarding DJ Vasiljevic, well, you can't come off to help too much because if he starts catching fire, the game's been put to bed to, to rest pretty early. But you've got Tom Abercrombie, one of the best defenders in the league, and a bet you understands all of that to get in the right spot. And everybody else in the defensive end just works together. And offensively, as long as Will McDowell-White's controlling the show, they're always going to score the ball offensively. Yeah, what what, what stuck out as far as how they were looking to attack uh, the home side in that first quarter? Because, you know, defensively, they've, they've got a lot of props for a long time, but... You know, 30 points in the first game of the final series. Gee, that's a great nerve settler. Yeah, it is. And look, I think a lot of it is the way that the Sydney Kings have been defending all season long. They play what's called a drops coverage where the big man, so it was Suarez last night at the five spot, when they come off a ball screen, likes to retreat and kind of catch the point guard either at the rim or make him have to make a decision. Now, sometimes that works if you've got a guy who really doesn't want to shoot the ball. But Will McDowell-White just picks apart that kind of coverage, and we saw it. He gets an extra couple of seconds to survey the floor. He's going to spot guys up to hit shots. He's going to score when he has to. And they didn't really get out of it enough. And if you can allow a guy who's such an elite point guard and decision-maker like Will McDowell-White that much more time, it's going to be impossible to stop. So I wouldn't be surprised if come game two, they have to change that coverage and maybe if Xavier Cooks, I know he tweaked his ankle but if he's healthy, they play a bit of small ball with him at the five and end up having to really try and go after Will McDowell-White get the ball out of his hand. It's a heck of a day for McDowell-White. 19 points, 9 rebounds, 9 assists, couple of steals in there to boot um, and was just in pure attack mode uh, against what you, I'm detecting here maybe a bit of a passive defensive approach early at times. Yeah, and again, the surprise factor is I look back at the the Tasmania series with New Zealand before this one, and in the game that Tasmania won, they full court, they wanted the ball out of Wilmington White's hands, and when he did get it back, there was only 10 seconds left on the shot clock to try and speed him up. If you just let him coast in and and use a ball screen, he's the best ball screen user in the league, and they just allowed him way too much time, and he's just too good. He just picks things apart. He sees the game a step ahead of everybody else. And when, again, when he slows it right down, he's so hard to stop because he will shoot the ball. He's got a nice floater, but he wants to get everybody else involved as well. So 11 points down the Kings at the half. You always knew they were going to come back in that third quarter. Were, were they able to make the adjustments on the fly that you thought they possibly could do in that third quarter? Or was it more of a was it more about the fourth quarter in the sense that their offense was completely stifled, that they were unable to make those in-game um, in adjustments? 
Yeah, I think it was harder. They had the injuries, obviously, Jerry Walton Jr., Xavier Cook, some other guys. So I've heard they've had uh, significant injuries in training leading up to this. And Chase Buford said afterwards, they haven't played their best basketball for almost two months now. And that's why they have the success against the Taipans, because Cairns are just going to play at 100 miles an hour, no matter what the score is. New Zealand aren't going to do that. New Zealand are really going to slow it down and try and pick you apart. Whereas if you keep trying to play that style, that fast pace against New Zealand when things aren't working, it just plays right into the breakers' hands, and that's what we saw. So it'll be very interesting to see how quickly they can adjust to this game too. What can they do as far as adjustments? I mean, if, if I'm one, I know Justin Simon is the one who goes, goes to Barry Brown, but maybe you even look at someone starting like a Sean Bruce or an Angus Glover and say, look, you go and get Will McDowell White full court and pressure him and get the ball out of his hands. And as soon as he gets it, don't let him get it back. But then you've got to trust your elite defender, which is Justin Simon, to try and shut down Barry Brown Jr. one-on-one. And the good thing for the break is if both those things happen, well, you get the ball to Jarrell Brantley and let him start going to work and fill it up and everybody else will come off the bench and do the same. So these are the first two things I would think of is get the ball out of McDowell White's hands and then try and trust one of your elite defenders to shut down Barry Brown Jr. Right. But what... Brantley didn't have a great shooting night. So I'm just trying to think. Across the floor, there are threats that the Kings really do need to consider here. And on any given night, if one gets hot, you know, New Zealand Breakers fans should be thinking the very best, right? Oh, absolutely. Again, this is the hardest thing about a five-game series. And I remember back in 2018, and we were playing the 36ers, and we won that first game at home pretty convincingly. And I was a rookie, and I was already thinking ahead of, like, well, that was all right. We just got to win two out of the next four. We, we should be champions. And it went all the way to five games. So it's hard. It's really hard not to think ahead in a five-game series because you've just come off a three-game series where you just got to win one more game. But even if you win two, that closeout game is always the hardest. So almost, I like that Modi Mayer in the press conference said that he doesn't even want to talk about that game anymore. He just wants to look forward. And both these coaches aren't afraid to throw some really funky things out there. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see something really abstract and unusual from Chase Buford and the Kings just trying to get that done. But I tell you what, New Zealand's going to be packed. It's going to be loud. And that emotion side of how incredible this story's been should get them over the line. Yeah. There's, you know, coaches can do uh, a lot to prepare between game to game. But you also know uh, but it, you've played the game. Players will play better. Cooks ain't going to shoot two from ten again, is he? No, he's not. He's, again, but is there, I wouldn't, that's one thing to motivate. You don't want to change the way you defended and had that success uh, on the MVP. And DJ Vasiljevic has been in a bit of a slump now for a little bit as well. And the last time he was in a slump that went this long, he hit 10 threes to come out of it and put up 42 points. So you've always got to be ready and you've got to expect it. And that's why I'm sure a lot of the players, like the veterans like Tom Abercrombie, would be telling the guys, look, if Cooks comes out and has 20 in the first half or DJ has 20 in the first half, don't let it deflate you. That's just what good players do. They're going to make shots eventually, and that's just stick to the game plan. So, uh, Vasilovic is the next cab off the rank, you would think, is looking for someone to take, make a, a bit of pressure off Cox. You know, option two, option three, he'd be right right at the top of your four thinking there. Yeah, he has to be. I mean, that's, he's been the key that whole season for me, to be honest, because if he's not knocking down shots, then it allows whoever's guarding him to take another step in towards the key and shrink it up and make life harder for Xavier Cooks and the like. So he needs to start knocking down some shots at a, at a high level to really try and free up the other Sydney players. But the one thing that they may have in their favour is, is Chase Buford has trust their bench all season long, right down to the 12th player. He's not afraid to throw them out there and, and trust they're going to play hard and get the job done. So series is far from over, but to win on 
away from your home floor against the reigning champs and the way they did it, there's some big question marks around the Kings. Yeah, interesting. Really interesting perspective. Now, breakers come home. The gym's going to be incredibly noisy. It's going to be noisy throughout this series. You throw in the, the, the added travel factor, bouncing between the two countries. You know where I'm going with this one, Peter. Who wins it all? Oh, I think right now the way the breakers, that was just their plan A. And knowing Modi Mayo, he's got plan B, C, D, E, F. I think the breakers are going to get it done. I think Sydney will probably sneak one game, maybe back at home in game three. But I just can't see them beating New Zealand with the way they're playing. Yeah, you, you, you're that impressed by what they have shown now over an extended period. They're not just hot. They've sort of blossomed. They've matured as a, as a squad together. They're not riding a, well, a hot shooting hand here. They're just, they're just very well put together, um, ha- have really gelled well as a group and just look very hard. Oh, 100%. And look, you look at the recent history, especially for the NBL, defence wins championships. And as good as Sydney were last year offensively, they were actually the best defensive team in the competition as well. This year, they weren't as good defensively, still decent, whereas New Zealand are the best defensive team in the competition. So that offence, they don't have to worry about it. Even if they struggle to score the ball, they trust their defence to get enough stops to win. That always helps win a championship, and that's why I think they'll get it done. Peter, great to have you on the show. You've brought a lot of smiles to a lot of New Zealand basketball fans listening right now on that, I am sure. Uh, thanks so much. Enjoy the remainder of this uh, series. It's going to be a tight one. No worries. Thanks for having me. Do appreciate it. NBL analyst Peter Hurley joining us, a former player of this competition since retiring, part of the NBL commentary team. Great to get his insights there. And um, New Zealand Breakers fans, that, that should reassure you, should it not? Some very reassuring words there, Ben Francis. Are you as optimistic? You have to be. The, the Breakers, they've been playing great basketball and something I spoke about with Dean who was hosting last week, it's really good to see the Breakers kind of get back to their good form and you know, I'm probably stretching a bit here, but I think part of it has to do with the fact the owner has kind of stepped back a little bit because one thing I've noticed in sport is if the owner is not as vocal and not around as much, the team seems to perform better, a la Sydney Roosters. I think priorities have changed, haven't they, too? In the sense of let's not get the shiny new toy and make him an NBA superstar. Yeah, exactly. Put a roster together to win this really good league. It's a really good league. It's a tough league. And the Breakers are within sight of winning their fifth title. Congratulations to them, A, for getting this far. But we wish them all the success uh, for the next week or so. Uh, SNZ will be along for the ride. 13 away from 12. Back after this. Ben Francis will help me out right now. It's a wonderful time of the show where we go to the odd show. The bizarre, the quirky, the odds. From the sporting week that you may have missed out on, but you definitely need to know about. And Ben Francis, for athletes when signing for a new team, often uh, what can get deals over the line depends on what extra perks you can get, whether it's a car or some Harvey Norman vouchers, or if you accidentally leave a boat on somebody's lawn. <laughs> You know how it goes. That, that tends to help. Especially if you play for the Storm or the Ray Roosters. Um, anywho, according to a report from the NFL Players Association, the Minnesota Vikings treat their players best, according to a new NFL Players Association survey, while the Washington Commanders have a long way to go. Why am I not surprised to see the Washington Commanders on the opposite side of ex-franchise does something really well? Because the I report released the during the, yeah, because the mud. Uh, the report released uh, midweek during the league's annual scouting combine rated 
teams in eight categories from meals and nutrition to training and travel based on anonymous responses from about 1,300 players. So a reasonably significant sample size has to be said. Now, the Minnesota Vikings, the Miami Dolphins, and the Las Vegas Raiders were the top three teams, while the bottom trio were the LA Chargers, the Arizona Cardinals, and Washington Commanders. Super Bowl champion Chiefs were ranked as the fifth, fourth worst team on this list. So take it for what it is. The primary problem for the Commanders is the state of their facility, with the survey uh, showing that players had more concerns with each area of the facility than the player respondents on any other team. The complaints included small, hot and cold tubs for recovery, a cramped locker room. Oh, I would hate that. Ben and I have to actually operate in two different cities. We don't like sharing a building, let alone a cramped locker room. A lack of warm water and issues with poor drainage in the showers. Oh, no, no, I don't want poor drainage in my shower. Not when you're showering with big teams. You know, lots of lots of people. Uh, some of the other issues at clubs included three teams don't serve players dinner at their facilities. And one of those, the Cincinnati Bengals, doesn't provide supplements or phone charging plugs and lockers. And last season, the Jacksonville Jaguars dealt with a rat infestation. Yeah, the, the no phone charging plugs um, seems quite problematic and also quite easily uh, fixed, right, Ben Francis? But seriously, you rich kids, make your own food. Yeah. Bit of whinging there. And an MLS defender suffered a nightmare as they passed the ball straight to their former teammate and watched them score in the opening round of the new season. What a nightmare this is. I used to play with you. Have the ball. Oh dear, you're wearing a different coloured shirt. With a side up two goals to one, Kip Keller was taking the ball out of the defence before he stopped and turned back towards his own goal with 12 minutes to go. Uh, but instead of passing it to his keeper, the 22-year-old inexplicably passed it straight to former Austin striker Jared Stroud, who had left the club during pre-season. Ford accepted the gift with gratitude and tucked it past the keeper in the Austin goal, adding insult to injury. Austin went on to lose three goals to two after a late winning goal by St. Louis's Jao Klaus de Mello. That, the moment it leaves your foot, you'd feel terrible, wouldn't you, Ben? It's so oh, good. No. I just seen you the video. Oh, no. Watch it. Oh, no. He's, he let, he's left. I need to hide. Back soon. It is bang on 12 o'clock. Happy afternoon, everyone. We are into the afternoon. We are into the final hour of the show before the Good Oil crew takes over at 1 o'clock. We're into the final 60 minutes. You can contribute to this fine broadcast. Well, we like to think. Uh, the best way to do that is by picking up the phone, giving us a call 0800 if that is not your star but still would like to contribute. Um, you can give us a text on double eight double three on the temper bedpost uh, text machine. A temper and bedpost range of mattresses and adjustable bases adapt to the exact shape of your body so you can put your head and feet up in comfort. Comfort. Fire through your messages. I love uh, hearing from them. Love differences of opinions. Did I get accused of being a bully by having a difference of opinion with someone? Okay. Not from the person that I had a difference of opinion with, though. So credit. I think his name was James, who understands that in life people can have differences of opinions and um, 
still kind of get along, right? Uh, that's what I would like to think. But keep your messages coming in. I can't say I will agree with all of your opinions. That would make for a pretty dull world, wouldn't it, Ben Francis? Oh, very, very dull, Daniel. I don't know what we'd do. <laughs> I don't know what we would do. What we are going to do at two minutes after 12 o'clock, let's reset. Let's give you the latest in uh, sports headlines at the top of the hour. The one New Zealand Warriors have uh, kick-started their 2023 NRL campaign with a gritty 20 points to 12 victory over the Newcastle Knights in Wellington. While it's certainly premature to declare it's our year, yeah, Ben Francis wrote this. So, yeah. He, he, even when he's saying it's too early to declare it's our year, you should probably listen. Let's get back to the story. Uh, there were plenty of encouraging signs from what this New Look Warriors group, who marked the beginning of the Andrew Webster era with a high-character victory, founded on resolute defensive effort to set a positive tone for the season. Could not agree more with my producer, even though we've just been talking about how we don't like agreeing. But he's right. That's the bare minimum from now on. If you want to play with the big boys, as I said at the top of the show, if you want to play with the big boys in this comp, that's how you've got to defend every week. The best teams can see between 10 and 15 points on average every week over 26 weeks, not just one week. Um, uh, may that continue, and may this continue, the Brisbane Broncos winning, shocking the Penrith Panthers uh, by 13 points to 12. Absolute drub them. It was a drubbing. It was a hiding. That's all you need to know. You don't need to watch the game again. It was just a 13 points to 12 hiding. Most convincing um, one-point victory um, in any sport that I've seen since Tuesday. Kiwi amateur Kazuma Kabori has emerged as the leading contender for hopes of a home New Zealand Open after the second round in Queenstown. Kabori, one of a few players to remain flawless over two rounds, backed up his five-under on day one with an equally solid four-under 67 at the trickier course at Millbrook to sit three shots back of Australian leader uh, Christopher Wood. And the Hurricanes and all-back star Adi Savier could face further discipline from Super Rugby officials after he made an offensive gesture towards an opponent during his side's victory over the Rebels last night, 39 points to 33. He made a slow-threatening gesture towards the opposition halfback. Uh, the fiery moment came after Savier was shown a yellow card for his uh, part in a Minor on-field scuffle. Savia has apologised. It was out of character and was something done in the heat of the moment. There you go. There's the very latest in sports headlines to four minutes after 12 o'clock. G'day, Zane. Welcome to the show. Good morning, mate. How was that game yesterday, eh? The Warriors. Which one? How good. Mate, there was a few the of Warriors, them. Warriors, mate. Oh, mate. Yeah. And, the, uh, and the breakers. But we'll take, talk to the Warriors first, eh? Gosh. Well, you tell me, because I've offered my opinion to the listeners. They're probably sick and tired of it by now. Tell me, Zane, how did you rate it and judge it? Um, mate, I, I kept saying before the start of the season, all I was looking for this year was like effort for 80 minutes and heart. And if you lose the odd game, you'd accept it. But another um, one of your former colleagues said to me on a different channel, you just want them to win, right? And you don't really care. And I think he was right. Round one, we just we never seem to win. We don't win the big games. Mm. But yesterday, just watching that game live, it just gave me so much pride to see the effort. You know, we, we lost that. We get, gave away that first try, which was, you know, it was Ponga's sleight of hand. That guy's one of the best players in the game. Johnson should have made the tackle. We could have easily dropped away, but the heart they showed throughout that game, you know, five, six, seven sets on our line, defended them. Chance Nickel Clogster, mate. What an, an upgrade from Reese Walsh. 
I couldn't well, be prouder. What, yeah, that, yeah, considering he what he drops it first couple of plays of the game, right? That's what I remember. Yep. He made a costly error early on, but he flushed it um, and carried on and ultimately left his fingerprints all over that game. But I love your perspective as a fan. Just want to win. I, I think I know who you were talking to, a former colleague on a, on a different stage. We're, I'm far more level than that bloke. I just want effort every week. And I can forgive oh. if a team gives effort every single week if they do lose. Um, well, and, I mean, it was just the first, you know, first if you round, if you can fun. recreate that defensive courage showed between minutes sixty through to sixty nine, you're going to win a whole lot more games than you lose, in my opinion. Yeah, I think you know you can kind of get a bit fussy about you know um, the kicking game. I still think we're lacking a, a decent kicker in the halves, but you know you just see the look in those guys' eyes that the, the passion is something we haven't seen at the Warriors in what you know I'd say ten years. And, it, and it's led by Webby. You watch him when he gets his jersey and he's like literally in tears and can hardly talk. And you can't help but want to play for a guy who wants you to succeed so much. So, mate, I'm excited. I'm not getting, getting carried away, but I'm going to enjoy watching guys play with that effort. Good on you, Zane. Really appreciate your call. Go enjoy your Saturday afternoon. Thanks for dropping by. You too, mate. Cheers. 0800 That is our number. Love hearing from you. Uh, please don't be shy. Um, if you've got something you want to say, here is a great opportunity for you to join us. You could also text us on double eight double three if that's um, your preference. Uh, I'll try to get to as many of those as possible. I don't always get to all text messages. Um, you know, virtually 99.9% of phone calls will get to air. Uh, so much uh, higher chance um, if you want to get something off your chest. Uh, what have we still got to come this hour? Well, the sporting tips you should probably run a mile from. I will catch up with the good oil, find out what's happening after one o'clock. I will actually give you my proper nomination for my workhorse of the week in association with Midas Agritires. My non-nomination, if you uh, were late to the party, was the Isle of Man cricket team, who left Ben Francis speechless when I told um, him they were bowled out for 10 in a T20 international against Spain, the lowest ever score in a men's T20 international, and then Spain chased it down after two balls. Yeah, quite incredible. So then my non-nomination, my actual nomination will come a little bit later. But after this very short break, uh, we're going to dig a little bit deeper, not only into the Warriors, but uh, how the uh, opening games of the NRL season have looked and how they may look over the course of the rem- uh, remainder of this weekend. And we're going to be utterly thrilled to welcome into the show Joel Kane, um, SEN League commentator, is going to drop the knowledge on us after this break, I believe. It is 12 minutes after 12 o'clock. Daniel McCarty riding solo today here on the session, the Saturday session. Uh, ben Francis is with me. Uh, and we've had a cavalcade of wonderful guests, but I'm very much excited to welcome in clearly the better-looking half of the run home with Joel and Fletch here on SEN uh, that you hear uh, from time to time on this wonderful station, SENZ, in little old Al Tedor. I think he's also been calling some rugby league over the weekend. What can he not do? Well, he can answer on a telephone too and join us right now. Mr. Joel Kane, welcome to the show. Hey, Daniel, you're too kind. And uh, I thought this was a fact show, but clearly fictitious. I'll tell you why. Uh, you did the better-looking half. Now, that would put Fletch in a really low sort of level because I got a text last night from a bloke I hadn't heard from in about eight months called Nifty. And Nifty said, gee, champ, you well. Um, and that's the first few words he said to me. So... Uh, but I'll take that, Daniel. How you been, mate? Oh, really well. Why, why do you think Nifty's been ignoring you? Well, well, Nifty's just one of those blokes who, you know, he, he's not. we're not close 
you know, one of those guys who you're not really close with, but you just sort of contact from time to time. And I haven't heard from him for eight months, and he says, geez, you've been eating well. Very first words he says, thank you very much, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> not followed up by, have you got... Have you got tickets to the opening round of the NRL this week? One of those friends. You, you know them, Joel. That's it. That's it. What's happening, Daniel? <laughs> oh, mate. We're just loving life on this part of the world. We've had, an, had a wonderful week of sport. It's been coming to us thick and fast. Uh, dizzying heights of a, a record test. Um, victory against England on Tuesday. Um, that was pretty dramatic. And I love this time of year, Joel. March. I always call it March Madness. Seasons overlapping. New season starting. Yeah. It's re- it's really the time where we cash in our brownie points, don't we? That we've clearly earned oh. in great numbers <laughs> over summer by doing the lawns, etc., etc. Yeah, etc., etc. Hundred percent. No, it's a, it's a great time of year. I mean, and you know what this time of year is, Daniel? It's all about hope. Everyone's got hope. Um, you know, everyone's a chance to make the finals. Everyone's a chance to win the Dalian medal, and um, that's what it's about. It's the month of hope, March. Well, you know, Warriors fans are hopeful of making the eight. Um, Broncos fans, similar after a one-pointer against the Panthers. Those two fan bases, after what we saw last night, will be feeling rather tall about themselves. But hope can be a dangerous thing, Joel. Yeah, and and you know what? Uh, There's one thing that you can rip through the hope stakes. It's me and the tipping comp. I'm none from three. So I thought Newcastle Knights could beat... I was wrong. I thought Penrith would beat Broncos. I was wrong. I thought Parramatta would beat uh, Melbourne Storm. I was wrong. T- to be fair, I suppose all those three could have easily gone the other way, but um, that's fish and chip wrapping now, isn't it? Okay, well, help me out. Who have you gone? Seagulls or Bulldogs is up next, isn't it? So who have you tipped there? So when you say help you out, are you going to go the opposite, are you? Well, yeah, maybe. Possibly. <laughs> Definitely. Um, look, you know what? I think this, this next game, the first of Super Saturday, is probably the hardest of the round. Both sides using that term hope. and Everyone expecting Manly to improve. Everyone expecting the Bulldogs to improve. I, I think we saw last night, and I know a lot of people are saying, oh, you know, Abby Coruscant's a huge out, which he is. However, I think Kickow's a bigger out. And Daniel, the reason I say this is it's not just what he did for himself and did for the team. Jerome Luai, I thought, was fairly quiet last night. And mm. when you're marking on the right-hand side against Penrith, you'd have Jerome Luai, but you'd also have Kikau as a major threat. And I think without having that presence of Kikau, that is going to strongly detract from Jerome Luai's game. So I think he's a major out and a major, major in for the Canterbury Bulldogs. I don't believe in my whole time watching rugby league, I've seen a better player when it comes down to a charge down and kick out. He scores a lot of tries from doing that. I'm tipping the Bulldogs. I know it's swimming against the tide. I'm actually in a tipping comp at the line, and there's about 20 people there, so we tip at the handicap start. Manly are giving up the start, and even still, every single person in that tipping comp has gone Manly, except me. So I've just got a feeling Canterbury can cause a boil over. Well, Joel, um, I've already gone the doggies, so... You and I are geniuses. We're the outliers. We're playing 3D chess, mate, and people are just living yep. in our world. I've got I've, my notes on the Bulldogs. Helium, done my big rises this year. Um, but maybe we can forecast the remainder of Super Saturday just a little bit later. But, you know, the Warriors last night against the Knights, I, I've been trying to make the point to the New Zealand audience here. If they can bottle the defensive effort, especially that 
sort of defensive stand from minute 60 through to 70, go up the other end of the field, score a try after soaking up all that pressure. You're going to win a lot of games in this competition if they can do that. Massive if, though, considering what we've seen from this club over the years. Yeah, I, I just think the coaching's so important. This this bloke's legit. Um, I, I do... I do want to temper things a little bit. I think the Warriors might be in for a similar year to Todd Payton's first year at the Cowboys. We're definitely going to see improvement. Um, this guy's a really good coach, and I've known him since he was a young kid, Andrew Webster, and he's a great guy. You know, In fact, i tell you what you're going to see. You're not going to see the real Andrew Webster until maybe midway through the year. He's actually quite a relaxed, uh, funny sort of... He's a really funny bloke. Um, so I just hope, you know... The pressure stays away from him. He has many, many wins. And, and I think the, the New Zealand public are going to absolutely fall in love with this bloke over time. But, but, hold your breath, Warriors fans. Temper expectations. Um, it's yeah, it's a grind. So. It's a process. You're, you're, you're building yeah. something. And any construction takes time. It takes time. Yeah, I honestly think, Daniel, that, that the, you know, a win for the Warriors this year, and, and they might go way above the expectation, and that's fine as well, is if there's sort of two weeks to go and you're still in the finals calculator framework, I think that's a win. You, you, you just don't want to get to round 20 and it's all done and dusted. And I, I know I'm sounding a bit doom and gloom after a magnificent win, but I, I just do believe that, you know, long-term you've got the right bloke coaching. Does he need more than 12 months? Maybe, because um, there's probably a few little holes there he still wants to fill the blanks in recruitment-wise, but uh, you've got the right bloke, and uh, Blue Sky, whether it's this year or years to come, I think for the Warriors, is certainly heading in the right direction. What about Broncos fans? They always have remarkably high, if not slightly um, you know, fanciful uh, expectations of their side. Last year, they missed out on the eight. Um, in 2023, what would be realistic for that club that is so well-supported, has so much going for it, whether it's resources, the draw, <laughs> what should yeah. Broncos Nation think about this year? Well, you've just beaten up the Premiers, and, and this is a team who um, the last three seasons had only lost to three teams. They'd only lost Penrith to Melbourne, Parramatta, and South. And if you weren't one of those, you just hadn't beaten them. The Broncos have come out and knocked them off on their home soil. Have we found a kryptonite, Daniel, for this team, the Penrith Panthers? Maybe it's the English. You know, they had St. Helens there at home soil. They got beat by the Poms. And then they took on the Broncos, and the English bloke, Herbie Farmer, scored both the tries for the Broncos. So is that the kryptonite, the English? <laughs> Everyone's scrambling around for some, you know, bizarre link to an Englishman in their squad. Get them on the field. Well, they will Absolutely makes sense. I, I, I mentioned this on Twitter, and immediately all the South fans said, oh, Tommy Burgess, he's playing him next week. <laughs> Bring, bring them back. Bring them all back. Bring them all back. Yeah. I, I, or maybe we're, we've just, you know, got a little insight to how Joe Kane makes his picks. Is this why no, you're tipping right. Joe from three? Because you go down that these beautiful be rabbit holes. That, that that's might be why. Right. I, I, I'm hearing... Would say, simplify your life. <laughs> I'm hearing so many pundits say this is going to be one of the tightest seasons um, in a long time. What would they base that on and do you agree? I do, I do, because look, we've already seen with Penrith, they clearly are looking like they will regress. Broncos, who are in the bottom half, clearly look like a team on the improve. Warriors look like a team on the improve, and Knights stuck with them a long way. Um, and then, you know, like Melbourne, Parramatta, the Parramatta regress a little bit. 
there's very few teams, and this doesn't happen every year, but there's very few teams in the bottom eight who people aren't suggesting will won't improve. Well, they certainly will. Like you look at Titans, you think they'll improve. Tigers likewise. So I, I just think generally we're going to see a really uh, there was a big big gap last year between the haves and the have-nots. You know, like it was typically to make the top eight, it's about fifty fifty percent of the games you got to win, but the top teams were just you know, winning all the games against the bottom teams. I, I do think... So we, we, we knew the top eight basically a long way out. I, I do think this year that things will be much tighter. Mm. But ultimately, what, the, sa- the same sort of elite will, will be vying for it? You, you don't see someone, you know, miraculously dropping out of the top four all the way out, you know, all the way to the bottom. There's not going to be huge tumblers down the list. Parramatta's a, a worry. Um, not, not that they're in the top four. Uh, well, actually, they were in the top four in the end. Um, yeah, they're a concern for me, and, and there's a number of reasons for that. Um, you know, Reed Barney's obviously lost. However, uh, Hodgson did terrifically well. Um, my concern for Parramatta is that last year they had the eighth best defence. It's those teams who sneak through to a grand final. Um, they're the ones who have the big regression, who, who got away through to a grand final, but ultimately it was winning wallpaper. So there was a problem somewhere, and for them it was defence. You know, teams who, the Cowboys, the Sharks, and the Panthers, those three teams in, in defence were the squeakiest clean teams of the lot. And they're the teams you find who, who just, you know, I, I know Penrith got beat, but they're the ones who just tend to keep that culture and that, dotting the I's, crossing the T's, and they're the ones who don't regress. So I think, despite Penrith having a loss, Penrith, Cowboys, and Sharks are probably the bulletproof picks as far as, yeah, they'll be top six. Don't right. worry about them. Those teams who... And even South, you know, South's defence wasn't too flash last year. So I, I worry about those sort of teams. The newcomers, are the Dolphins, uh, from the... Uh... Redcliffe Peninsula, who spent a lot of time playing at Suncorp now, won't they? I think a lot of games at Suncorp for them. What should we expect in 2023 for a brand new club? Okay, so the Dolphins, I things are never as bad as they seem, things are never as good as they seem. And everyone's tipping the Dolphins to run last. I, I honestly can't see that happening. I, I really can't. I think to run last in this day and age, there's enough teams who have got, you know, infighting you know, politics, unhappiness. And I reckon that's the solution to getting a wooden spoon. And whilst you don't see that in rounds one and two, because everyone's largely, as I said, hope, but when the pressure's on and you're deeper into the season and fans are starting to lose that hope and, you know, there's a bit of angst getting around, it's those teams who who are going to do that. You're not going to get that with the Dolphins. Wayne Bennett's there. Everyone's there with a fresh start. So nobody, there's no fractional relationship inside the Dolphins' camp. I played at the West Tigers uh, in their first ever season in 2000, and, and, and it was, we were pretty much being appraised the same way as the Dolphins. In our first ever game, we took on the Broncos, who were the favourites to win the comp because of their star-studded outfit, and they ultimately won the comp. And, and you're probably thinking, OK, well, that's sort of the Roosters, isn't it? The Roosters star-studded outfit, many people tipping them to win the comp. That's the first assignment for the Dolphins. 18 and a half start or something is the betting line. And I, I just think it's going to be a lot closer than what people are expecting, only because of my experience at the Tigers. This fresh energy, uh, yes, it may be a big year for the Roosters coming up, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if they make a big, big game of this. Mm. 
Hey, we'll get you, get you out on this one, John. Do appreciate it, mate. Uh, There's probably a pie that you need to eat, according to, to whatever his name <laughs> yeah. was. You need, need to get right. stuck into that. Um, Super, Saturday, Super Saturday is upon us. What is the game of the day, though? What's the one that you want to see more than the other? Others. Yeah. Yeah, the, the game of the day for me is actually Manly and Canterbury, just because it's a bit of the unknown. I, uh, obviously, South and Cronulla is a great game, but no, no Nico Hines. So, for me, it's this first one. Like where where really are these two Sproot teams at, Manly and Canterbury? Well, we look forward to it, John. We look forward to catching up with you as the season progresses, my friend. Thanks for dropping some knowledge on us on a Saturday. Enjoy your Super Saturday, and we'll catch up with you soon. Good on you, Daniel, and thanks to your listeners for tuning in. Um, I'll catch you next time. Good stuff, Joel Kane. Uh, joining us, uh, of course, uh, you'll hear his dulcet tones throughout the uh, NRL season uh, across SEN and SENZ. And, of course, uh, one half of that great uh, Joe with uh, Fletch. It's great, mate. Joel and Fletch out of Sydney on SEN and the drive home in Sydney town. Right, wild prediction time. He's got no chance to prepare for this because I haven't told him we're doing this. But Ben Francis, my uh, NRL guru, these are non-Warriors-related non topics. Fire away. Hit me. The Dolphins finish where? Uh, I kind of agree with Joel, but I would lean towards the bottom four. Bottom four. Who are the minor premiers? If I had to pick right now, I am leaning towards Sydney Roosters. And I hate mm. saying that. Hate it. Mm. They played the Dolphins in the first game. They do. So there's two points, you would think. I, I, I did. Look I, like the, the Dolphins look like they got a semblance of a pack. That's that's what you hold your hope on, don't you? Yeah, well, it's just the question marks in the back line. And I do admit, I kind of have loaded up on a few Roosters players in my fantasy team this week. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. Deli M winner. <laughs> oh Jesus! Oh, it's it's. I find, I it, find this the hardest question to answer every year. So like, you want me to predict who is going to have a the best season of all the players in one competition? Exactly, and that's hard because you get things like a suspension can pretty much rule you out of it. A guy, you look at a guy like Nico Hines, who's probably going to miss at least this round, and it's probably going to put him on the back foot straight away. You're asking for a player right now. I am going to say, if I'm going for the Roosters minor premiership, it's going to be one of them. So I'm going to just say uh, probably James Tedesco, although I'm not overly confident because that one is very hard when you're just on the spot. Okay. And where will my beloved Broncos finish? Will it be A, above the Warriors, or B, below the Warriors, or C, tied with the Warriors? I reckon both the Broncos and the Warriors. There's probably a group of maybe four to five teams which I can see kind of fighting it out for like those last two playoff spots. So from that seventh to eleventh kind of area. So that's where I would probably aim for that because uh, Joel touched on as well. You look at a team like the Bulldogs and Manly. The both of them are quite unknown in terms of how they're going to go. So those are the kind of the other teams I sort of see in that mix as well. I think the Bulldogs are probably more likely kick on out of all those teams because I think after they gel a bit and the players they've got, they'll probably kick start a bit more. But, yeah, I'd probably say in that region. Are you going to answer the question, will they finish above, below, or equal with the Warriors? I'm going to say equal. Equal. 
Oh, well, that that means my next question is redundant. Well, we can still ask it. What are we going to put? What are we going to put on it? What band <laughs> are we going to put on it? Oh. I'd, I'd set the segment was all set up for this one last question. <laughs> we well, shouldn't, shouldn't have given. Shouldn't have given. You're right. Actually, I shot myself on the foot there. Rookie. That was all me. That was all my mistake. You can bully me as much as you like <laughs> after that. It was absolutely no, okay, horrendous. Okay, okay, Why did I give him the way out? Because Why? You're a bro- option A or right, B? You're a Broncos fan, so we'll just go. You're, you're, the, you're a Broncos fan, so we'll just have it each other. So if the Warriors finish above the Broncos... Oh, we're, we're more obnoxiously stupid than, than the Warriors fan base. We, <laughs> we think we're going to win the thing. I'll just get back in the... Eight. We're, we're definitely... Oh, mate. No-brainer top sixth. You reckon the Broncos sixth. are finishing six? Yeah, Ooh. I do. Uh, no, I, I don't think they'll finish that high. Seventh? Like I said, I think in that seventh to eleventh category, and there's a few teams that are going to be yeah. fighting it out on that. The, the, the thing okay. that I got the Broncos as well is that a couple of guys have already committed to going to the Dolphins for next year, and I don't know kind of how that, that will play on a player's mind, especially when you get to the back end of the season and there's that bit of fight going mm. on. I've seen I've seen players, you know, just not have as much effort in when they've announced those things. And they've they're big losses as well. You've got Tom Flegler who's going on Herbie Farmworth, which I think is gonna be a massive loss considering he scored both the Broncos tries last night. Excellent. Like it. Fabulous. Uh, I can see Clado's out and about. Big day ahead um, for the good oil. We'll try and touch base with them uh, after this break. It is 29 minutes away from 1 o'clock. We'll have our um, sporting tips you'd probably run a mile from uh, before 1 o'clock. I'll also uh, hand out my workhorse of the week. Uh, we'll also take in race number one from Tarapa at 22-1, but uh, after this break, we'll hopefully touch base with Clado, who is staring at the camera like a very confused individual. 24 away from 1 o'clock. Keep your messages coming in to double eight, double three. The pithier, the better. That's the way I like them. The good oil are primed. They are ready to roll on a huge day, and it's all coming to you live after 1 o'clock. Clado, the man in charge. Zealand Derby Day. He's all parked up at Tarapa. He's ready to go. He looks fantastic. He's had someone turn his microphone on and and sit and get the unit going because we we're hosts. We hosts are way better than that. We're well above that now, aren't we? Paint the picture, Clado. It's good to see your face again. It's been way too long. It has Daniel. Great cricketing commentary. And what about that Test match, man? You know, in all my sixty odd years, I've never seen anything like that. And, man, I, was, I don't know how you were feeling, but, mate, when we took that ninth, ninth wicket, my whole body was tingling. I was like, what's <laughs> happening? This is on the verge of greatness, and it went one way, then the other. Man, it'll live on for, for, in memory forever. That's you why we love live sport. That's why we love live sport. No, a, real, a real privilege to be there. The best unscripted theatre there can be. It certainly is. And same with racing, too, Daniel. And we've got a million-dollar race today. The Group 1 derby uh, goes at 4.47 this afternoon. And look, we've got a horse here. I reckon he's as good as Bone Crusher back in the day. Sharp and smart. He's probably done more than Bone Crusher has at this time of his three-year-old career. He won a derby, but sharp and smart. He is just, he could have panels on this field. He is an absolute megastar, Daniel. And I'd be love to see him be winning today, the derby, and he should. That's a big call for even, you know, uh, we all know horse racing I know very little about, and I'm unashamed and calling myself on that. But when you mentioned Bone Crusher, I couldn't help but, like, sort of s- sit straight upright. It's yes, a big no. call. Well, it is. He's been to Australia twice, sharp and smart. He's won a championship stakes. He nearly won a VRC derby back in November. 
Uh, I don't think he saw the horse flashing at him late in the piece, but he's just got an absolute will to win. He just throws everything into it. He's got a size and scope about him. He's just an absolute special. He's, an, he's a darling, and, man, we're looking forward to today's race. And, no, not disparaging to his competition, because, boy, we've got some really nice three-year-olds taking him on, but I think he's one out of the box, sharp and smart. We're about two minutes away from taking actually less than that. Race number one from Tirapa. Uh, who, who's on with you today? Tell us about the wonderful show you have on the cards for us. We are lucky enough to have Steve McKee live on track. We are on track today, so come along and say good day if you're on track. Steve McKee joining me and Louis Herman Watt down there in the studio in Canterbury, who got beaten by the Chiefs last week, but uh, we won't mention that. But um, yeah, <laughs> we'll be doing his best from down there, and he's missing a peach of a day here. It is just glorious. There's a great vibe on track. Horses out on the start, round at the start for the first. Um, man, there's just so much happening today. The McKee family, Sunline Vase, so Sticker will disappear for half an hour to go and present the trophy. So if anybody wants to jump in for half an hour, you're most welcome. Uh, Mufasa Stakes, the King's Plate, but yeah, all eyes on the New Zealand Derby tonight, Daniel. And yeah, we could see something special. Oh, brilliant. And, and just to remind us all, what, what time does the big one jump? Uh, 13 minutes to 5, 4.47 this Dirty. afternoon, but the lead-up will, will have a nice lead-in, so like five or six minutes into the derby, and we'll be looking forward to it. And, of course, across the Tasman, we've got Legato and uh, Imperatriz, so plenty of action both sides of the Tasman. Let's hope we can keep that winning roll. The Warriors, the Hurricanes, the Breakers, let's keep that roll going in Australia. Absolutely, Claude. I love the sound of that. And make sure we've got a camera rolling at about, uh, you know, that time you mentioned uh, for the big race. I want to see agony or ecstasy with uh, your great tips for uh, all our listeners this afternoon. I sense ecstasy. I've got a good vibe about you today, Claude. I I think you're in the money. The same vibe as when that ninth wicket fell on Tuesday. (laughs) That's the sort of vibe I'm getting. Brilliant stuff. Fantastic. Have a great day. I'm envious, to say the least. Out on track. Clayton on the crew from the Good Oil um, to bring you all of the action. We will start the action now. We are just seconds away from uh, race number one at Tirapa. Uh, jump into this. The uh, final few trailers of uh, horses getting in to the gates. And we will cross to our commentary team and take it all in from Tirapa. I don't want you to interfere. I want you to bite your lip. And I want you to let her do what she thinks needs doing. Alex has agreed to make over one of their bedrooms to demonstrate to Jackie just what the modern-day traveller now expects. I think... OK. That, um... That might go down radio folklore. That, that, that was amazing, that cross. There might be a slight wiring uh, issue with uh, the television. They have jumped, unfortunately. Uh, over 2,100 metres, race number one. All I heard was a woman saying about biting my finger and telling her what she wants. I was like, this is family radio, Ben Francis. Um, and no, I know Clado's probably thinking, jump in, McCarty, do, do a commentary. Do a commentary. I've told you I will never commentate a horse race because um, I do not deserve that honour. Uh, hopefully we can fix the issue. Uh, and taking the closing stages of uh, race number one at Tarapa. Any, any luck there, Ben? Or loca- what show was it? Was it location, location, location? Or was it... Um... Maybe, like, was it Grand Designs UK or something like that, you know? <laughs> or, or Antiques Roadshow. We, we have to clip that up. 
because I, I want to hear what, what that woman was saying when we first crossed her because it was like, you know, when you walk into a conversation at the most inappropriate time and you completely, completely get the wrong end of the conversation, I think we had one of those moments. Um, our apologies, don't worry. Um, the Good Oil and crew uh, will have this all sorted for you after one o'clock. Uh, do not worry. Um, we will bring you the results as soon as they come to hand. We will uh, we will still serve you racing fans, even though this is, quote-unquote, a sport show. Uh, the good oil coming after, up after 1 o'clock. Uh, we will take a short break and be back with more. It's 18 away from 1. 13 minutes away from 1 o'clock. I can tell you, like a lot, number 11 has edged out number 3 and 8 in a close-run thing at Tarapa race number 1. Like a lot, you'd pay 38 bucks. You'd like the sound of that if you're on that. Um, like a lot, um, a photo for second and third, three beating eight, I think is the unofficial uh, result in that one. Our apologies for not getting that commentary to air, but uh, the Good Oil crew have it all under control. Yeah, it indeed is now confirmed. Like a lot, 38.9, uh, $38.90, $9.50, number 11 beating. Number three, high choice was paying $2.60. Number eight, Kiwi Man paying $5. Wow, that's a, that's a big one to start things. Sign of things to come, perhaps. All right, time to dish out our awards. The main award, yes, I'm sorry, Isle of Man, you won the non-nomination for your non-turning-up type performance against Spain in a T20 International when the side was bowled out for 10. Our workhorse of the week, uh, athletes, teams, storylines that uh, have left us utterly enthralled and engaged. And us impressed at the work they have done with Midas Agritires. European quality made affordable. Uh, I, it's just the Basin Reserve. The Basin Reserve ground staff. Uh, I'm going to give them all the plaudits for producing, as Ben Stokes, Ben Francis said, one of the best, if not the best, test wicket he's ever played in. Curators don't tend to get mentioned in good times, uh, only in bad times when I don't know a test match limps to day number three. Good luck to the indoor uh, groundskeeper who's probably already packing his bags. There will be some fallout from that. But we don't often give praise to um, grounds crews when they provide something um, brilliant like that that leads to something quite uh, exhilarating. So Hagen Faith and his crew, I'm giving them uh, my workhorse of the week. You know, plenty of rain in the week leading up to it. The wicket at the Basin Reserve undercovers a lot. It looks bright emerald green, as it always does. World's media thinks it's a spitting demon of a, a track. Team gets sent in, scores 430 or 430. A guy gets 180 on the first day, and it goes down to the very final chapter. Extraordinary test. Because of the conditions. So well done to the Basin Hagen Faith and the crew there. They are my workhorse of the week, Ben Francis. Don't often give it to a groundsman. Have you got one for me, mate? Sorry, I'm just testing the to see if we got the racing back on, but no, it, it was uh, <laughs> another little awkward test. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was it was weird. My home, my cat was at my home, my castle. Was we figured out? I I, th I have we figured out how the whole I think it was the hotel it. inspector, but it was weird because it. <laughs> because I, I tested it and it came up on the screen and the music was timing up and I was like, oh, brilliant, we've got it. 
And then, no, it wasn't. So, I mean, we, we gave it a go. But anyways, uh, my nomination, I have to do it just because everyone knows I support Bradford City, which is a fourth league football club, League Two. Yeah. So the fact I saw Grimsby Town, who are also in League Two, beat Southampton FA Cup, I have to go with that. I think that's quite a remarkable achievement for a, a team in the lower league to to beat a Premier League side, especially in today's sort of day and age. We don't really get those sort of really, really lower down clubs getting these big upsets as much as we used to. So when we do get them, we want to cherish them and enjoy them. I know Southampton have not been that good, but it was still great to see, even though Grinsby Town are in the bottom half of League Two, unlike Bradford, who are more near the top. But hey, still good to see. Excellent. like the sound of that. It's a good shout-out. I was going to go very bullishly the Breakers to sweep the Kings by three games to nil, but I, I don't. I believe in the commentator's curse. Kind of. Not really. I don't. But I just don't want to cop um, expletive on this show next weekend um, when it backfires hopelessly. So I'll just go head to head the Breakers to make it two matches to nil, paying $1.65. It's a pretty boring bet as far as return, but it breaks this one. It's a solid one. And uh, when I have appeared on the show over the last few weeks, I think we've been there or thereabouts, haven't we, as far as our sporting tips we should run a mile from. So that that is um, that is my punt for the day on that front. Um, ben, have you can you contribute as far as any other solid options for this weekend? For the weekend? Oh, mm. I was actually thinking of going uh, going a bit of a long odd, a bit of an investment as we like to call it. Which is tipping the Knights to win the wooden spoon? No, the actually. NRL? No. As, as one of our texts pointed out <laughs> when he was criticising us for getting too excited about the Warriors actually playing well and winning a game? Well, I actually just, just seeing the odds, and it's actually not as exciting as I thought. I was, I was actually very tempted to go to the Warriors to make the top eight, saying, you know, we're going to make it, but it's only paying 480, which I was a bit disappointed about. I thought it would have been a bit more. 480? Yeah. Quite low, isn't it? Yeah, well, that's what I thought. I was just looking yeah. at the Dol- Dolphins and Knights are at $7, and then the Warriors are, are next. But, yeah, it's top eight finish. We've got a top four finish, which is slightly better. or well, it's a bit better at $15. But no, 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 no. We're outside of the eight rather than top four for the, all the reasons you pointed out a little bit earlier. And saying that Dolphin, Dolphins, Dolphins are 280 for the wooden spoon. Do you get the sense maybe a lot of people have thought about this punt in the last 12 overs, uh, twelve hours rather, Ben Francis, after after the Warriors' performance last night? Maybe, the, I, I don't know. Sure the, uh, you know. The other shows will follow the TAB in the coming days. wonder if that has shortened. Oh, potentially. I, I would say it probably has a little bit. But quite interesting that the, I think all the, those odds there are, are quite low. It was actually interesting, Daniel, while we're talking about tips here, we were last week on the rugby run. We were discussing about uh, Wales because, of course, Welsh rugby is in quite disarray at the moment. And I think there was a website called Odds Checker, and you could go across different markets in the UK, the betting agencies, and have a look at different odds. And not all of them had this option, but I think forty-four percent of all bets have actually gone on Wales to get the wooden spoon in the Six Nations. Wow! Because of how bad they are. That is a, it's a huge number, huge proportion, isn't it? Yeah, uh, uh, I think, and, and I, I, I don't, I don't blame people for going down that path, Ben. Oh, exactly. I don't blame people going down that path. The other punt I had out for this weekend, 
the Blues, the Blues are going to beat the Brumbies. I'm pretty confident of that. I was actually really impressed with the Brumbies last week. I thought they were probably one of the better performed Australian sides from, from what I saw. Um, so I'm going margin here. I've got uh, Blues 1-12. to 12. Uh, $2.70, I think there's a bit of value in that. So I'm confident, very confident on the breakers making it two games to nil. The one I see a bit of value on, the reason we're safe as ours is uh, $2.70, the Blues are paying 1-12. to 12. Are they other sporting tips you should probably run a mile from? Uh, our humblest apologies if they don't come in. Bet responsibly, gamble aware, all of those things. Wonderful stuff. Um, and congratulations uh, to the Basin crew and Bradford winning our Workhorses of the Week in association with uh, Midas Agritise. That means we are finished. I can see Clado's got the glasses down on the end of the nose like he's a naughty little school teacher. He's ready to go. Uh, Herman Watts got some sort of uh, free apparel that he's stolen from some junket he's been on. He's ready to go in the Christchurch studio. The good oil is coming up. It is a massive day. It is Derby Day. Um, there, there is so much excitement heaving out of their core, I can see it. Um, big thanks to Ben Francis uh, for helping me ride solo here on the Saturday session. Massive thanks, though, to all of our guests. Uh, if you missed uh, today's show, catch out a, check out the social media. It will be uh, posted up there. Uh, but most importantly, it's always uh, you for your company and your contribution. Those have chimed in via phone or via the text. Utterly um, love it and appreciate it. Uh, I think I'm away next weekend, bizarrely, Ben Francis, at a wedding. Yeah, this is a legitimate one. So I'll catch you in a fortnight. Um, until then, team, um, you'll hear me again, I think, from uh, Sky Stadium calling some football. ta